This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Seventy-seven WABC. New information about the plane that never landed on Long Island like it was supposed to. Instead, turning around and crashing in Virginia. The FAA said tonight that air traffic controllers lost contact with the plane 14 minutes into the flight. Air traffic audio caught the moment when the military scrambled six fighter jets to intercept the flight after it illegally breached the restricted airspace over Washington, D.C. One of the fighter pilots saw the Cessna pilot slumped over and unresponsive. With thousands of asylum seekers coming here to New York, Mayor Adams is floating an interesting idea to help accommodate them. His honor says homeowners with spare room could be paid to provide shelter. It is my vision uh, to take the next step to this, go to the faith-based locales, and then move to private residence. Governor Hochul, the Buffalo Bills, and officials from Erie County held a groundbreaking ceremony today for the new Buffalo Bills football stadium. This place is not going to just represent a fantastic state-of-the-art facility. It does represent dreams to be realized and memories to be made and stories to be told. And, of course, many, many victories to be celebrated. At the briefing, the FBI again refused to hand over the unclassified record to the custody of the House Oversight Committee, and we will now initiate contempt of Congress hearings this Thursday. Given the severity and complexity of the allegations contained within this record, Congress must investigate further. Mike Pence making it official, filing paperwork to declare his 2024 campaign for president. Come this Wednesday, I'm announcing in Iowa. The Republican field keeps growing larger. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu insists the crowded field will only make Trump stronger. Tonight announcing he will not be running for president. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is expected to launch his bid for the White House right here in New Hampshire. By the end of the week, the total number of Republicans in the race will be 12.
Oasis, don't go away, 607 on your Tuesday morning back here on New York's number one talk show. By a distance, that's right, Mark Simone, by a distance. You know, I usually don't talk about this, but what a perfect time. So the other numbers, Lewis, came back for the third week of May. That's how the ratings game works. We're in June, I know. The third week of May came back yesterday. The second week of May, we recorded a 6.7. And again, just to um, school you folks, most shows in this town, almost all of them, get in the twos. All your favorite shows get in the twos. We got a 6.7. Third week of May came back yesterday, and we recorded, you ready for this? A 7.3. So we've got one more week. That ends May. That'll give us two-thirds of our next quote-unquote book, which doesn't exist anymore, but we still, the old-school guys still do that. And right now we're at about a (laughs) 7.1, which is outrageous. Winning machine. I'll tell you again, you could add up Hannity, Levin, add a third show, I don't care who it is, and they don't beat us. Three shows. 7.3 for the third week of May. I say that with no apologies, zero remorse. If you think I'm a dick, God bless you. But you don't because you're you're listening, right? You're not listening to Elvis Duran right now. If you don't like it. Or Boomer Esiason. Right, if you don't like it, what do you do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Tuesday morning with Oasis, don't go away is how we start. I glanced over to uh, to the left. And I see my good buddy Brian Kilmeade, Fox and Friends, love him. And he's out there with Ainsley Earhart, lovely lady, and uh, Peter Ducey. Not Peter, what's the father's name? Steve Ducey. So they're sitting outside today. You know, they do a lot of their their morning shows. They've always got some correspondent at a diner somewhere across the country. You know, Pete Hegseth or one of these guys sitting in a diner somewhere across the country. Well, today... The trio of Kilmeade, Earhart, and Ducey come to you live from right outside the Fox News studios. Paris Baguette is catering breakfast. We don't need them because we've got Joe Parisi and Gristidis, thank you. But they're catering breakfast, and there's a live audience. And I know these people are my people. A lot of these folks that are sitting there right now probably listen to us. But God... Do they look like a bunch of losers? <laughs> Am I wrong about that? I'm, I'm trying to look at it. Uh, right look now. at these yes. people sitting outside watching a three-person political news TV show. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> they look like they're in a trance. Right? <laughs> like they're all drugged up. Like Mike Tyson sitting there with uh, his wife, Robin Givens, doing a Barbara Walters interview. They're like all drugged up. <laughs> And these three are talking about Tim Scott and Sonny Hostin and who knows what. But before we get to that, which was great TV yesterday, and the latest with all the races, I do want to wish my nana, Danielle's grandmother, Florence Noodleman, a happy birthday today. She's dead. She's been dead for about six-plus years. She died at the age of 97, but she was a wonderful lady. You know the story, my wife, Danielle, her mother was killed in a horrible car crash when Danielle was just eight years old. 
and her grandparents, Marty, who died a long time ago, and Florence raised my wife and raised a beautiful, intelligent, successful, great wife, great mother, all these things. And Florence was my mother-in-law. And again, 97 years old, died about six years ago. But Florence, while celebrating a birthday today, celebrated her birthday with a huge day in the history of the United States. For you history buffs out there, let me take you all the way back to this day, June the 6th, 1944, 79 years ago, when this bulletin hit the radio informing Americans what was going on in France. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. This ends the reading of communique number one from Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force. Ladies and gentlemen, this is New York, NBC Newsroom again. Men and women of the United States, this is a momentous hour in world history. This is the invasion of Hitler's Europe, the zero hour of the Second Front. The men of General Dwight Eisenhower are leaving their landing barges, fighting their way up the beaches into the fortress of Nazi Europe. They are moving in from the sea to attack the enemy under a mammoth cloud of fighter planes, under a ceiling of screaming shells from Allied warships. The first news flashes do not say, but a large proportion of this assault is believed to be in the hands of American men. They are making the attack side by side with the British Tommies who were bombed and blasted out of Europe at Dunkirk. Now, at this hour, they are bombing and blasting their way back again. This is the European front, once again being established in fire and blood, not only by the Americans and British, but by many allies in the fight against Axis aggression. So there you have it, folks. 79 years ago, 1944, on this day, June the 6th, we call it D-Day, of course. Our troops with Allied forces landed on the beaches in Normandy and other places in an effort to end Nazi rule. You know, we lost about 135,000 soldiers that day. Maybe the most, the best depiction of it, believe it or not, is a movie. But Saving Private Ryan did an unbelievable job. Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, uh, Matt Damon, all those guys in that film of really bringing home just how treacherous that day was. You know, they canceled, I guess, the day before because of bad weather. But it wasn't like June 6th was a gorgeous day either. Lots of guys were throwing up in the boats on the way to the beach, A, because of the treacherous waters, and B, because of nerves. They knew as soon as they hit the beach, they became lame ducks, moving targets. And then, of course, after that radio bulletin, we heard from the President of the United States, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, once again, D-Day, June 6th, 79 years ago, 1944. Almighty God... Our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, 
and our civilization and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed. But we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day without rest until the victory is won. 1944, President FDR, this, the 79-year commemoration anniversary of D-Day. You, and you also have those, it sounds, those early recordings sound unbelievable, So too. cool, right? You know, it's also like the first big broadcasts from radio yeah. and media stuff so it's it really does sound like what the heck was going on in the world pretty wow. cool i, I yeah. miss that that yeah. scratchy sound like my voice this morning sure i'm still only about 80 percent. i'm not even close to being well i got an email yesterday from somebody here you got to shoot a video today for some client it's not happening guys guys don't ask me to do commercials don't ask me to shoot videos. I need at least one more day. We're doing a sketch today, and we need Sid to have several costume changes. <laughs> Jesus. And we have a long script for him to read. I'm decidedly better today than I was yesterday. You know why? All I did yesterday was rest. I didn't go out. Congratulations. Thank you. I need Congrats. one more day. Yep. So Chris uh, Libertini, Chris Bavona, even Leslie Slender, who does an amazing job for me, most of the money I make at this place is because of Leslie. I'm not doing anything today. Don't ask. <laughs> I'm sorry, Frank Siller, these companies. Without my voice, you have nothing. Zero. I need one more day of rest. Don't get angry. Don't get upset. Don't call Chad. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm not physically able to do it. I'm good till 10 o'clock. I need one more day of rest. And tomorrow, it'll get done. Arthur's going to be Okay. You know, uh, Josh Fox, he's going to be okay. Everybody calm down. No big right. deal. It'll be all right. Yeah. It's all going to be okay. It'll be all right. Ron DeSantis tells us every day it's all going to be okay. You know, DeSantis said to Brian Kilmeade, those guys are tighter than Brian Kilmeade wants to admit, on his radio show yesterday that people have said to him, well, why don't you wait till 2028? You know, Donald Trump wins now, then you win in 28, then we get 12 years, hopefully, of Republican run. And I love that idea. But you can't expect Ron DeSantis not to run because Trump thinks he's disloyal, stupid, or you want him to wait. So DeSantis says, I got to run because right now, and I love Trump, he's my guy, but right now the country is in serious Danger. This is uh, DeSantis, courtesy of the Brian Kilmeade Show, Fox News. Lewis, cut number 17. You know, some people tell me like, oh, well, you know, you should just, quote, wait to 28. Well, that would make sense if you're running to be somebody. But I'm not running to be somebody. I'm running to do something. And I think 2024 is the country's hour of need. 
So he says, you need me right now. Right now. So all these guys are, you know, kind of teaming up against Trump. This uh, guy, Chris Sununu, who's the governor of New Hampshire, they're up next, right? We did Iowa. Then you get New Hampshire. Then you get my friend Nancy May, South Carolina. Sununu, this is a joke, actually considered running for president, and he announced yesterday on CNN that he's not going to do it, as if that's a big deal. But here it is anyway, two different cuts. Sununu on CNN, then Sununu on MSNBC, and the crux of it is is that he doesn't want to be president more than somebody beating Trump. In his opinion, the most important thing is for a Republican to beat Donald Trump than him be president. Here's Chris Sununu, cut number 18. Governor, thank you so much for inviting us here to the Granite State. Absolutely. Your decision. Yeah, so uh, we've taken the last six months to really kind of look at things, where everything is, and I've made the decision not to run for president on the Republican ticket in 2024. Obviously, a lot goes into that decision, but um, it's been quite an adventure, but not the end of the adventure by any means. Then he goes on MSNBC, the other evil station, and he says Donald Trump does not represent Republican values. we got to beat him. Chris Sununu, cut number 19. Almost all the candidates have a very viable path to beating Donald Trump. And, you know, you just said it right there. Chris isn't shy about, about uh, you know, casting criticism where it is well-deserved with the former president. But this is the problem. All 12 of the other candidates need to cast the same type of criticism. Uh, it, because it's, it, it's not that we're, we're there out there to beat Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't represent the Republican Party. Yes, right? he He's does. the outsider. No. And we've kind of let him get away with kind of co-opting, I think, what, what are tra- better traditional ideas ideals of the Republican Party, of limited government and local control. He wants to relitigate the past, and if we're going to be successful in the Republican Party, we've got to move forward in the future. So I think Chris is a, is a very good candidate. I think they're all really good candidates. They're all my friends. I think there's a lot to play out. We haven't even had a debate yet. So uh, we're going to see who can take a punch, who can give a punch, who can really stand on that stage and make the case of America's future, not just worrying about litigating the past. What a loser. My God, Chris Sununu, what a loser. And his friend Chris he's talking about is Fat Chris Christie the former governor of New Jersey, he's set to announce today or tomorrow he's running. Mike Pence will announce in Iowa tomorrow he's running. So I think Donald Trump beat, what, 16 or 17 people back in 2016 as he ascended to the White House? And believe it or not, I believe by the time Christie and Pence jump in the next two days, that makes 12 Republican candidates, 12. That's a lot, right? Can you name no most of them? No. Try it, try it, try it. Um, okay, will be Trump, Pen- Trump, Trump, right? Pence, right? Uh, uh, DeSantis, right? She's um, the guy I just mentioned, fat governor. Oh yes, Christie. That's four. Four. Uh, Nick, Nikki Haley, five. Uh, the guy was on the View yesterday. Oh, Tim Scott, six. Okay. The uh, jackass from Arkansas, former governor. If you um, if you spell his first name backwards, it's still the same. Uh, Sassafras. Asa Hutchinson. Oh, Asa. That's seven. <laughs> That's all you can get. <laughs> it's, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Let's see. Um, I, One of the guys is actually on with uh, what's his name? Uh, Buster Only, not Buster Only. Who's the guy on at four o'clock? Uh, Bo Snurdly. Bo Snurdly, right? He's on with him today. He's a black guy. California, you have a better chance to win. 
Really? So yes. if I put my hat in the ring yes. right now, well, then that guy, I don't have a hat. That but. guy actually also ran against Gavin Newsom when they tried to recall the governor of Los, of uh, California. What about uh, Ramaswamy? Larry Elder. Larry Elder. And, oh, Elder. and Ramaswamy's in it. Who's that? Ramaswamy. Vivek. Oh, Vivek. He's running. Yes. Vivek Ramaswamy. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a cast. What's that, nine? Now you're a nine. That's nine. How is the country going to know well, me, these please. people? They're, they're not going to. That's gonna. not going yeah. to happen. Who are we missing? That's uh, only nine. I see like a couple of weird ads on uh, on Newsmax all the time of, of just... Uh, people you don't even know who the hell they right. are. They're like independent, like, like yeah. uh, remember that guy? Who was that, mil- uh, that billionaire who ran in the last race? The short guy who showed up here once. Oh yeah, the uh, the guy fl- his own plane. And yeah, I forgot his name. I don't know, like Brock or something. Brock, yes, Brock something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he ran for president. <laughs> wow, I might run. Why not? Give it a shot. Yeah. So yeah, there you have it. Why the heck not? I'll be the one Jewish candidate. There are no Jews. I don't know. Try to think of one. Let me think of one. Let's let's think of Justin's platform. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't care about any of you, but I care about myself, and I want to run. Yes. Works for me. Sounds like Trump. <laughs> Coming up today, Curtis Sliwa, Bo Dito, Noam Layden, the great actor Chance Palmin Terry, the great New York Post columnist Michael Goodwin. All that and more. Tuesday morning with me, Sid Rosenberg, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Somewhere deep inside, something's got to hold on you. And it's pushing me aside. You'd stretch on forever And I know I'm right For the first time in my life That's why I tell you You'd better be home soon Yep, better be home soon and Looks like me, Danielle, Ava, and Gabe will be home soon. Trying. My uh, guy, Rich Cliff, working extra hard to get us home. And looks, uh, we'll be going home this weekend no matter what. Don't know if the house will be completely ready. But it looks like Saturday will be the first time we'll be there as a family since early January. Which is unbelievable. You know, those pipes burst Christmas Day. You remember that cold Christmas Day? It wasn't a very cold winter. And we got very little snow, almost none. But Christmas Day was freezing. And the pipes burst. And we were gone. You went to that hotel, the UN Hilton. I remember calling John Katsimatidis and Curtis Sliwa. They filled in for me New Year's Day. 
and I called in from outside the hotel. And I had no idea what the next five months were going to be like. I said, I'm, I'm at a hotel, the U.N. Hilton. It's great. I'm four blocks from the office. I can walk to work tomorrow. All good. And uh, then we went home for about a week. And that was it. Ended up at that hotel on 33rd and Park for about a month with the sports bar downstairs. You guys remember Lou and Justin and Wolfgang's on the corner, which has become one of our favorite steakhouses in New York. And then uh, not long after, about a month, like I said, uh, after that, we ended up in this apartment in Battery Park City, right on the water, lovely place, nice part of New York City. And we've been there now for the better part of three-plus months. And we go home occasionally. Danielle goes home more than I do because she drives. Checks on the house and the progress. And I got back a couple days ago with Dan last weekend, and it looks great. And like I said, hopefully we'll all be going home on Saturday and maybe staying. I mean, we're going to keep the apartment in the city because Gabe goes to school here, and I work here, and the insurance is paying for it through July. Oh, nice. Yes. So we can stay here during the week until Gabe finishes school, and then we'll probably go home. But either way, home is um is coming up. I think big, big, big doing Saturday, big party, big, big party. Pa- not Saturday, but okay. you know what's funny is I'm coming Vinny. over no matter what. That's it. Come on over. Okay. You only live about thirty blocks away. Cake and six packs. Vinny from Rocco's. You know Rocco's? Yes. On 116th Street. Yes. Yep. So he goes. There's a rumor. You guys are going to have this really big party. We have a big, beautiful house when uh, you get back, and we want to cater it, which I thought was really, really sweet. Nice. Vinny from Rocco's. Oh, man. We are going to do that sometime in July, but here's the problem. So I have enough bedrooms in the house for me, Danielle, Ava, and Gabe. I do have one very, very nice guest bedroom, which can probably fit one or two people. But the mayor, Eric Adams, would like it if I brought more than that back to my house. Now, you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. Okay, what? Okay, say what? You have yes. to bring back what? Well, the mayor think? is now suggesting that, you know, there's no more churches, can't use schools, no more hotels, they're occupied, that the best way, maybe, to house these migrants... <laughs> You can't make this up. Is it people like Sid and Danielle in their house on Rockaway Beach take a couple of migrants home? Oh, okay. You know, no, like they're, like they're uh, dolls, yeah, you know. I got it. Yeah, like stuffed animals. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't following before. Now, sure. it make, now it makes sense. So now I've got this new house that we've rebuilt, gorgeous. What a perfect landing place for a nice couple from Venezuela who may be here to do good or may be here to rape a child or deal fentanyl. I don't know. I don't know. But that's what the mayor wants us to do. So now i got to go back to my construction guy, Rich, and have him make sure that guest room has a bathroom because the onus is on me, because I love this city, to take care of the migrants. If you don't believe me and you think I'm kidding, what a great setup. This is why I'm a genius and I get great ratings. I'm that sorry. whole thing was all here. about this. I shouldn't even be sitting I mean, I'm seriously, stunned. do the wave or something? No. Come on. Well, we only have a couple of people here to do the wave. So <laughs> That's fine. It's look kind here of is weird. a Mayor Eric Adams, cut number 14, saying, Hey, Sid. Hey, Danielle. 
take a couple of migrants home. It is my vision uh, to take the next step to this, to go to the faith-based uh, locales, and then move to uh, private residence. Uh, there are <laughs> residents who are suffering right now because of economic challenges. They have spare rooms. Uh, they have locales. And if we can find a way to get over the 30-day rule and other rules that government has in, in its place, we can take that $4.2 billion, $4.3 it may be now, that we potentially have to spend, and we can put it back in the pockets of everyday New Yorkers. So here's how it works. If you take the migrants home, you get paid. So he's going to pay you yes. to, take, some, to yes. take somebody in. That's right. Oh. And um, well, according to Eric, who I spoke to <laughs> last night, he's actually going to pay me more than my radio salary. Okay. okay. For, to how many? To take like one or two? Six. So you have to take six people. Yes. In. Yes. And you, okay. Is, is there a rate <laughs> we can look at online? I got to look. No, there are rates like there the Holiday rates. Inn and sure. No, yeah. but I want to see like migrants. One migrant right. gives you like a thousand dollars. So what do you? How I much room you got in your joint? I think it was a hundred dollars a night. He's the city's offering. Hundred bucks a night. Hundred bucks a night. <laughs> what is going on? You in can't. This you can't city? even make this. I swear to God. What can't is going on in this city? Yeah. If you take them home, you take them home, you get money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like when they paid people to get the COVID shot. Right. <laughs> yeah, but you went you got a shot, you went home. Right. Now you got somebody living in your house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I walk around naked a lot. I go to the refrigerator, I'm balls yeah. ass naked. What if I'll have did... some, some little Venezuelan girl walking around my house. Right. Are you nuts? What the hell is going on here? Why does he keep going around yelling, oi? <laughs> What is, where are we? <laughs> what is, yeah. That is really, that could be the craziest thing. <laughs> now, be, now you'll be getting yelled at by migrants when you wake up, when you wake them up at three o'clock in the morning. Right. <laughs> Get about Danielle and Ava, yeah. some little, you know, some, some, some kid from, um, Nicaragua is going to be, <laughs> but you shut up. <laughs> I can already hear Bo Deedle yelling about it now. Oh, right. Bo's coming on. Yeah, you got a lot of Alejandros all over the floor. Well, let me tell you, Bo has a sprawling mansion in the hamptons wow, and he should really wow he could probably he, house like 50 of them he could make out wow so can john katsimatidis wow they got big houses author idala take them home no made a great joke this morning he's like I'm, I'm thinking of going down there crossing and come across the border back and see what i could get is that what bo said no that's what noam said oh noam said yeah joke noam has a small apartment i think in jersey city i don't think he can house uh you got room in your joint there known for a couple of migrants <laughs> Not like now, because uh, no. one of my kids is out of the house oh. at college, so it's a so hundred bucks a night. You know, that's seven hundred a week. Was a lot 20, of money. Uh, you don't make that here. Yeah, month. compared it's... to like an Airbnb, yeah, right? Right. Like nothing. No, it's not like an Airbnb. It's like a really cheap Airbnb. <laughs> How many bedrooms is your uh, apartment, Justin? <laughs> what are you talking about? There's only one bedroom, right? I don't even have a bedroom. It's just all one room. Oh, yeah, right. It's like it's a studio just, thing, yeah. One room. So he'll be stepping all over people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it looks like, you know, Sunday morning when he's... Ay, ay, ay. Oh, that's where we are, recover. folks. No, we got uh, a lot of guests coming up. Traffic with Joe oh, Nolan. God, he's coming nice. up next. Isn't that great? But <laughs> right now, it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Everything you need to know in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and get the max out of mini. Listen anytime you want on the 77 WABC app. Today's minicast is from my dear friend, other side of midnight host, Frank Murano. Here, Frank talks about why some New Yorkers want to make citizens' arrests illegal.
now there seems to be a lot of momentum around the country to make these citizens arrest a thing of the past. In Florida, a Miami lawmaker proposed a new bill that would make citizens arrests illegal. In uh, there's proposals for this in state after state. They call this a vigilante squad of people that want to go out there and make citizens arrest, especially after there was a very sad situation in which someone was killed when uh, it was thought that they were committing a crime and, and they weren't. They were totally innocent by these people that said they were going out to make a citizen's arrest. This is Sid on Sports. Sponsored by Peerless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers on the ice here. The Vegas Golden Knights continued their game one dominance of the Florida Panthers. Missed your Stanley Cup finals outdoing themselves in game two last night to the tune of a 7-2 shellacking on home ice. In fact, no team in over 25 years has been more dominant than the Golden Knights through the first two games of a Stanley Cup final with their outscoring of Florida by a margin of eight goals thus far. The series now shifts to Florida. Well, they'll have to try and take game three come Thursday night. No baseball action yesterday, but both the Mets and Yankees are back at it tonight. The Mets open up a three-game series in Atlanta against the first-place Braves at 7.20 p.m. Eastern time. Tabin Carlos Carrasco to go up against Atlanta's Bryce Elder. As for the Yanks, they'll welcome in the Chicago White Sox for the first of a short two-game set at 7.05 p.m. tonight. That'll be Clark Schmidt getting the start against Chicago's Lucas Giolito. That's a bit of a lopsided uh, pitching matchup there. Now, finally, up north in Buffalo, where yesterday ground was broken on the Buffalo Bills' new $1.54 billion stadium. The agreements include a 30-year lease and a non-relocation agreement that makes it difficult for the team to leave Buffalo. Nearly impossible, that is. And the new stadium will officially also be called Highmark Stadium, just like its predecessor construction on the new structure is expected to be completed in 2026. Here are sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Spoilers. Go to PeerlessSpoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. Find a dealer near you. They're the world's best built boilers. And I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. I don't see, Michael, a lot of great young talent coming up. In fact, I think we're so saturated between podcasts and so many radio stations, especially sports, that every guy who wants to be on the air, eventually, talent or not, ends up on the air. I don't think the roster, for example, is nearly as talented as it was 20 years ago. And that's to radio's deficit, and it's a problem. But I do want to mention, you've got on WABC a real rising star. He's not a spring chicken, but he's not old either. He's still, he's still in my mind, a kid. And that is the great rising star, Frank Morano. Oh, yes, he's great. Yes. I mean, great. what he's doing great. on the overnights is, yes. is, is noticed all around the country in the industry. But it, what you're talking about, though, comes back to what I said before. You've got to nurture talent, it, not just formats, not just, uh, you know, getting the radio station out of debt so we could continue to be mediocre for another year. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I have to say, you know, you've got, it, you've got Frank Morano there, and he's a star to watch. I agree. No, I think he's terrific, too. In fact, uh, he's on this show quite a bit. I put him on weekly and he's getting huge numbers on the overnight.
just pulled over somewhere on Staten Island to pleasure himself. After I played that, he's like parked outside the Victory Motor Inn right now. That'll be in my head for long. Beating the daylights out of himself. <laughs> Michael Harrison, Talkers Magazine. So I go to Frank this morning. I go, hey, Frankie. And, and Curtis Sleva is in another studio right now ready to kill. Oh, he's, he's got go this Frankie. whole thing with Frank. Yeah. yeah. So I go, Frankie, did you hear Michael Harrison bring you up unprovoked? Yeah. Oh, did I hear it? I played it, so I um I took the cut <laughs> that Morano used last night, and he he let it go for a while. Even my part, you know, usually you cut out the hose, but because I was saying nice things, Frank let the whole thing play. <laughs> but on a serious note, he's right, Harrison. I don't think Frank Morano gets the credit he deserves here. I really don't. And he does a really good job. Now I understand it's not uh, the amount of listeners that we go up against every morning. I understand he's not going up against Boomer and 10-10 wins and 880 and all those other shows. It doesn't matter. It does, it's, like, it's like saying when the Mets go to a, a, a city that's not Atlanta and sweep the three and people complain, they go, well, the, the competition sucked. So what? you got to win the games on your schedule. If you beat the good teams and lose to the bad teams, you're not going to win. You need to win every game on that schedule. And that's what Frank does at night. So I was happy Michael mentioned him. I didn't tell Michael to mention him. And so, Michael, so right now, Frank is very happy and Curtis is furious. And I love that. So we've added uh, Colonel Jack Jacobs, who's won just about every award that a man in the service can win. Believe Jacobs served in Vietnam because today, again, if you missed the very start of this program, it's not only my Nana Florence Noodleman's birthday, she would have been 104, but it's D-Day. 79 years since America and the Allied forces stormed the beaches in Normandy, France, the beginning of the end for Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany, 79 years ago today. In fact, I know he played at the very top, but it's worth playing one more time. Play the president. FDR making a prayer for our troops. And we did lose, I believe, if my numbers are correct, about 135,000 guys that day. That day, 79 years ago today, 135,000 guys. This was President FDR, a prayer for the troops as we started the end of World War II. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. 
For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed, but we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day, without rest, until the victory is won. So while the GOP field uh, starts to shape up, and I'm waiting to play the Tim Scott, Sonny Hostin highlights from The View yesterday for the 7 and 8 o'clock hours, while that field continues to shape up, there'll be 12 GOP candidates by the end of the week. Not much on the Democrat side. Right, you've got Biden. He's running again if he doesn't die. And I say that seriously and with a bit of sarcasm, but he may die. This poor bastard falls every day. They show us some of them because it's in public. Could you imagine how many times Biden falls in private in front of his horrible wife that we don't see? And as far as I know, the only real competitor on their side is RFK Jr. Did you know, today's a bit of a history lesson, while we're commemorating 79 years since D-Day, that yesterday, June the 5th, 1968, and if your math is good, 55 years ago yesterday, RFK Jr.'s father, Bobby Kennedy, was murdered in a hotel in Los Angeles as he walked out. You remember that? 1968, I was one when Bobby Kennedy was murdered Yesterday, the 55-year anniversary of that, and today, the 79-year anniversary of D-Day. Special shout-outs. I'm getting some nice text messages. Leslie Slender, Lynn Haunt, my guy Joe, Joe the Box, from the amazing America First Warehouse. Good morning to you folks, too. Going to be a great show. Six great guests. All you need to know, nobody does it better. Nobody than sitting friends in the morning, exclusively right here on Talk Radio 77 WABC. matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Sitting friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning.
on the northern coast of France. This ends the reading of communique number one from Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force. Ladies and gentlemen, this is New York, NBC Newsroom again. Men and women of the United States, this is a momentous hour in world history. This is the invasion of Hitler's Europe, the zero hour of the Second Front. The men of General Dwight Eisenhower are leaving their landing barges, fighting their way up the beaches into the fortress of Nazi Europe. They are moving in from the sea to attack the enemy under a mammoth cloud of fighter planes, under a ceiling of screaming shells from Allied warships. The first news flashes do not say, but a large proportion of this assault is believed to be in the hands of American men. They are making the attack side by side with the British Tommies who were bombed and blasted out of Europe at Dunkirk. Now, at this hour, they are bombing and blasting their way back again. This is the European front, once again being established in fire and blood, not only by the Americans and British, but by many allies in the fight against Axis aggression. Fighters, that of course, the actual radio bulletin, 79 years ago today, D-Day, June 6th, 1944, being told on social media, Instagram, at Rosenberg.Sydney, at Rosenberg.Sydney, that I gave out the wrong number, which I did, not even close, the amount of casualties that day. We lost about 4,400 men, not uh, six figures. So uh, thank you to the listeners for listening so carefully. We lost uh, 4,414 men on that day, 79 years ago today. And uh, Curtis Sliwa, who does a tremendous job on this station, noon to one every weekday, all weekend long, but his best work may very well be 7.05 every weekday morning right here. But Curtis Sliwa, who has spent his life protecting New Yorkers. He made those two words, citizens arrest, part of the vernacular. He wasn't even born when uh, when D-Day happened. But uh, you seem very, very moved by the tribute so far today, Curtis. Is that true? No doubt, except if you happen to be in the U.K. on this day, which I was one year organizing Guardian Angels in London. I'm listening to the BBC. On, on June 6th? Yes, I'm saying. General Montgomery led the troops up to the shores of Normandy. I say, what about the Americans? What about Eisenhower? And then they mentioned the Allies. Never mentioning the United States. Never. No. And never okay. mentioned Dwight Eisenhower? Of course not. It's all about Montgomery and the Brits. Yes. Wow. Yes, and the little dinghies that went to Dunkirk to bring the Brits back to the uh, to the motherland so that they can launch their attack against those dreaded Nazis. Are you going to be mad at me? You know, my daughter goes to college in Wales again, two-hour train ride from London, and my son, he uh, suffers from dyspraxia, and the largest 
institution dealing with dyspraxia on a daily basis happens to be in London. So we have uh, flirted with, if not even further than that, the idea, Danielle and I, of moving to London. So will you be mad when I leave and move to London? Or, knowing full well the station would be in serious jeopardy, You'd be happy because you would get this slot. Damn right. <laughs> Move now. We'll get you a slot on the BBC. You know, occasionally I'll interview you as a guest. Yes. I'll call you Limey Blimey. How's it going over there, Sid? Right? You enjoying? Oh, you enjoying? Oh, it's a fog. Oh, it's, it's chilly right into the marrow of your mouth. You'll learn to hate it when it's spritzing on you every day when it rains. Uh, you know, I may learn to hate it, but I can almost guarantee you this. I don't think... That when, not if, when Danielle and I move to London, I don't think the mayor is ever going to ask us to take migrants home forever. Why not? Why not? You got that that beautiful house in Bell Harbor you're ready to move back into, right? You have plenty of space. And right on down the block, there's your friend Anthony Carone, right? I knew you were going to do this. He raised millions of dollars to elect this guy who's out of his mind. Hey, is Anthony going to take him in? Or what about his former chief of staff who's holding a fundraiser? You talk about chutzpah, huevos, culiones. On June 16th. I'm going. On Broadway. New York, New York. Yes. They're shaking down donors. No, no shaking. Yes, they are. They're going to have live music. It's going to be a show. It's basically, I'm going to be there. Hey, you want to house illegal aliens? Here's the (laughs) price. You got empty property. Come on. Come on all. Uh, They're getting wine dined and pocket lined. What is wrong with you? Do you know Frank Caroni? has got that great spot right in Mill Basin, right on the water with the deck. Used to be next to, what is that, uh, Vinnie Gaspipe Queso's garish house that used to be there. How do you know that? Uh, hey, man, I'm in Canarsie. I'm on the other side of Very the patio basin. Very good. Let me tell you something. And not only that, how can you live in two places at the same time? He just bought a co-op for $2 million at 45 Sutton Place. Hey, with three bedrooms, two bedrooms. He's allowed. Frank, he's successful. Hey, he's got to give up one of them. Why? Uh, it can't just be do as I say, not as I do. We need people setting an example. He doesn't work in government anymore. Doesn't matter. Let he, him do what he he's wants. He's shaking down contributors for the re-election of anybody. Eric Adams. Yeah, you really think Let he's... me ask you something. When you start to run for mayor again, which yeah. you're going to do, you're going to do. Yeah. You're not going to start shaking down folks. For cash? What are they going to get? A belly button lint? What? I don't know. Maybe you give them a did, red beret. I did, don't know. Did any, did any of the whales give me any money the last time? The answer is no, right? The Achilles gave Okay, me. but the truth is, while you did a tremendous job in destroying Fernando Mateo, you got your ass kicked from there. So I wouldn't do yeah, this. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't do. It? Hold on. So I wouldn't do the same exact thing I did last time. So maybe you do need uh, some whale money this time. Question. Let me yeah. ask you a question, Chad. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you go out there... Yeah. And when you go back to the Rockaways, ask them, hey, you want to re-elect this guy, Eric no, they, Adams, swagger man with no plan? My neighborhood loves you because my neighborhood are well, real Americans. Excuse me, at the Christmas party, I wasn't invited. And who got invited? Eric Adams. And they're going to hold a party for you for your return like the Mashiach crossing Jamaica what, Bay. You're going to wash across <laughs> Jamaica Bay. Are they going to invite me? Of course not. They don't want to offend Eric Adams, Frank Corona, and Anthony Corona. Are you, when you say the Christmas party, yes. are you talking 
talking about my dear friend, defense attorney, Joe Murray's. Oh, Joe it's Murray. A, it's a charity. He represents people, yeah, by the way, yeah, yeah. that don't exactly love him. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Meantime, I know that he represents people. He represented a guy who shot me no, five that's times not true. with no. hollow point bullets. <laughs> hey, you represented Michael Leonardi, who's out of federal jail now. Why don't you go tell him to take target practice at Rodman's neck? Maybe he'll get a second bite at the apple. You know, the my therapist... And I've gone to many 12-step meetings. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Yes. About shrinks. Yes. All of these. They will tell you that you know what will kill you quicker mm. than six shots from John Gotti's friend's guns? Mm. Resentment. Clearly you resent Joe Murray, yes. Eric Adams, yes. the Carone brothers. Yes. This is not you know healthy why, for you. You know why I resent Eric Adams? Look at what he's done to our city, right? If you're an illegal alien, you get everything. If you're a citizen paying your taxes, working your job, you get Ugats, you get Bupkis. Look at all of our own homeless people. I can't, last night I was on the A train, the A train coming from where? Mott Avenue, Far Rockaway. Do you know how many homeless people were in that A train? And I had to hold my nose. The stench was overwhelming. And I actually thought yesterday that uh, there were going to be days when the ferry... Going back home, because I'll do that again now. Yes. Here we go again. Yes. They shut it down if it's windy, if the, if the seas are a bit rough. And I thought about taking the A train instead of spending 130 bucks please, on an Uber. Please do. I've never taken the A train. Oh, I will, I will accompany you. Is it that bad? Uh, oh, my God. Lewis, let me get Lewis. Hard, oh, yeah, Lewis, right. He, he doesn't take, he he does does. Not take the A train. His car breaks down a lot. No, Louis, it's dreadful. How it's bad is dreadful. it? Dreadful. Curtis contends it's like really, really bad. Is it that bad? Yes, it's terrible. Is it's, it worse, Curtis, than the three train to Livonia yes. Street? Yeah, it's worse. No, it's not. The A train now is the worst subway in the system. Worse. Worse than the L train? Worse. There's so many homeless people emotionally disturbed. Plus, you're stuck. Once you leave Howard Beach Station and it goes slow towards Broad Channel, you know, then all these guys come up to you and they say, well, that, that's a nice Joseph Abood uh, jacket you oh got my on God. there. And then they say, well, what's in your pocket? Uh, that, uh, that watch, boy, that watch would look real good on me. By the time you get to Broad Channel, the smell in that car from you having an X-Lax attack because they're doing a clockwork orange on you is so intense, even they run out of the car. Clockwork orange. So, and the last stop happens to be by the last stop diner. Well, we go. Well, well, that's if you go to Rockaway. Yeah, right. you're taking you're the, the shuttle. Right. You're going the other no, way. No, no, no. We're going to Mott Avenue. Come on, man. Let's now, what go where the homies on, are. Well, what, what happens on Mott Avenue exactly? Oh, man. They got a precinct right there. But forget the precinct. They're, they're locked in, man. They ain't coming out because they can't do anything. They can't put their hands on anybody. They can't arrest anybody. And that leads me into the promos you play. By the way, I was in here on an emergency situation Friday morning. And Lou was very helpful. Your crew, Justin Alec, very helpful. I never heard so many promos in my life. It was promo hell. I asked Lou, I said, when are we getting back to programming? Do I need to hear every show, every podcast that has ever existed at WABC on the number one rated program in the nation? You got a 7.3. Imagine if yes. they took all that clutter out. <laughs> Why? People were going to pull over on the road. Oh, I want to write down Dominic Carter. Let me write down this. How ridiculous is this? You know, I I told you that Bill O'Reilly was the first to say it to me. Way too much. He's like, just get back to Sid. We know what time Reed is on. We know what time Dominic is on. Let me tell you something. Something happened in the last month 
Because you know me, I got an yes. ear for the station. Oh, you're a great radio guy. Something happened. Commercials, yes. Without commercials, no TV, well, we no washing. Oh, we right. Exactly. We got, a lot of commercials is good. That means job security. Right. You got no commercials. Guess what? We're all hanging wallpapers somewhere <laughs> out there in Far Rockaway in the projects, right? In Redford, in Edgemere, in Auburn. But I want to tell you about Frank Morano. You kiss him up yeah. and down. You he's, lick his he's face. He's tremendous, no? He's, he, you, see, you heard that promo. He's talking about vigilantism, citizens arrest. I did. Hear that. I was sitting right in the newsroom there. The number one vigilante in the world. They did a documentary about me. Vigilante. I've made hundreds of citizens arrest. And he's musing on and on about, well, what do you do with a citizen's arrest? He's so pretentious. He's so obstinate. Now, call me in. Ask me about it. I've lectured on this at Stanford, at Harvard, at Brown University. Oh, but, but I'm sure he did call you in. No, he didn't. Oh, stop it. No, 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 Frank. Let me tell you something. People will call him up and ask him problems with their cats. You know, their four-legged cats. Instead of referring them to Nancy, my wife, who is the expert, and he hates cats. The only reason he has cats is because of his wife, Rachel. He's a dog guy. He's giving advice, like, out of his talkers. <laughs> so what is up with this guy? <laughs> So what angered you more, that he gave advice on cats or that he completely ignored you as, like you said, oh. the number one vigilante Oh, my ever. God. They've done documentaries. Right. I get asked about yes. citizens' arrest. Con- non- top. Is that, this- isn't it true when they made the uh, those movies that you were the guy that actually hung out with Charles Bronson and explained to him what it's like in real life? No. Is that true? No, no. They didn't, they I didn't refer to okay. me. But uh, I, right. I will tell you this. There's this guy, State Senator Generis, right, over in Astoria, passed this bill to ban citizens' arrest. Hey, pal. Let me debate you one-on-one. He's a Harvard graduate, right? He wears those, you know, those Harvard lawyerly kind of suits that your friend Frank Caron uh, wears. I'll debate him one-on-one. <laughs> There's nobody who knows more about chokeholds, headlocks, half-Nelsons, full-Nelsons, and holding somebody down until the police arrive. And let me tell you the other thing. Yesterday, I'm watching your mayor with his $5,000 customized suit, and all of a sudden, he's got all these markers, all these religious figures. Oh, they're going to take in homeless, uh, illegal aliens for $125 a day per person in a house of uh, worship. I'm looking in the crowd. I'm saying, where's Rabbi Joe Potashnik oh, of the Congregation Mount hey. Sinai in Brooklyn Heights? Hey, Rabbi, where are you? Hey, Reverend A.R. Bernard, you got 5,000 in your auditorium that you never invited me to, a mega church, right there in Canarsie, on Flatlands in Pennsylvania. Remember the chop shops that sure. used to be there? Yes. There's dead bodies underneath his foundation <laughs> yeah. that he's not aware of. It's half the size of Madison Square Garden. You can't take in 11 or 12 12 of the illegal aliens, and $65 a day if you keep them in your house. $65 a day. Let me warn you, though, if they're there 30 days, they become a resident. That means you got to go to tenant and landlord court to evict them. Did Eric Adams tell you that? No. Of course not. Because then he's going to say, well, that's your problem. Go to tenant (laughs) landlord court. Your first appointment two years from now. Just ask landlords how long it takes to get a deadbeat out of an apartment that is a citizen. You know how long it's going to 
orphanage. Oh, I'm an asylum seeker. You know, I'm waiting for my federal hearing 13 years from now. But I haven't fi- filled out my paperwork yet. But Eric Adams, he's going to rush to us, and he's going to give us language services, and he's going to educate our children. Hold on. Educate your children. Ask Peter King, who has his lips hermetically sealed on Eric Adams' backside, the Eric Adams Republican. 70% of the property tax in Nassau and Suffolk goes to schools. So now all of a sudden you pay all these property taxes, the greatest and largest in the nation, and Eric Adams wants to accept all these illegal aliens. Accept them in. They have anchor babies. They pop them out right here in USA, and that's it. You can't get rid of them after that. No, no, no. My baby is an American citizen. I can't believe you got Joe Potashny. Never had me during the campaign on his show. A.R. Bernard never had me. They were kissing Eric Adams' us. How come they're not taking in any illegal aliens? And by the way, Peter King, you got space in your heart, your, your house. Uh, in fact, his grandson was here yesterday with him. He said, Curtis Lee was speaks truth. And uh, Peter King was like, stunned. You're turning on me? said that's right because he knows the real deal i'm calling out eric and hey gracie mansion is empty he doesn't spend the nights there he spends it in the trump tower 90 stories across from the united nations with the petrosian boys right everybody knows that so give up gracie mansion do as i say do as i do but now they're all sanctimonious hypocrites fake phony fraudulent fugaces Rabbi Joe Potashnik, A.R. Bernard, Frank Caron, Anthony Caron, and the biggest hypocrite of all, Eric Adams, with the four-story brownstone on Lafayette Avenue that has rats in the basement. The basement is empty. The top floor is empty. Put your freaking illegal aliens there. Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC.
Great uh, Carol King, now and forever. Talk about great Bo Dito's coming up next in about 12 minutes. So, Justin, I had to correct myself on the amount of casualties. 4414, I believe, is the right number. D-Day, 79 years ago today. And according to um, Across the Street, producer extraordinaire Monica Allen, you have been saying all morning long the Yankees start a short two-game set against the White Sox later on tonight. Is that right? I guess not. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, why are you caving that quickly? Well, clearly, clearly, well, clearly she knows something. Well, I, I, haven't, I haven't checked this. Now she does have tickets uh, to the Yankees. She contends it's a three-game set, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Well, I don't know if she's right or not, but I'm going to put my money on her. Yeah. Because, I, would, I would probably do that, too. Yeah. Have you checked? Uh, yeah. And? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah what? Oh, yeah, that, that'll be three. Three games. Three. See, when I used to do sports, <laughs> one year or 10-10 wins in my attempt to get back to WFAN, I swear to God, Mark Chonov said to me, do sports at 10-10 wins. That'll bring you closer. You're back in the CBS family. So I uh, pissed off Mark Renee. They benched him. And he's a great guy and terrific sports guy. So they bench Mark Renee, and they they had me doing sports <clears throat> with uh, Jackie DeAngelis. I think that was her name. Or, or Joan DeAngelis. I don't remember. She retired. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Jackie is still at Fox News. Oh. And uh, Lee Harris, who just went to News Nation. And uh, I would do stuff like that, you know, because I was in Boca. I would do sports for my den in Boca. New Yorkers didn't know that. They'd be like, yeah, I'm sitting at the sports desk. And I'd say things like, well, the Mets are in Pittsburgh tonight. And then 10-10 wins, the director, Ben Meverek, would send me a furious message. Sid, I love you. Always started with that, Sid, I love you. But the, the, the games are at City Field. They're not in Pittsburgh, you know. And it would happen all the time. Yeah. It's, uh, I make, mis- you know, I mean, I'm bound, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm bound to make a couple of, a couple of errors glancing at uh, ESPN with crust in my eyes, you know, right. every now and then. So, but you make mistakes all the time. It's not all the time. It's, it's every day almost. It's every day. It's definitely not every day. Joe Nolan just said it's a three-game series, too. So, See, the difference is with me, I was a horrible update guy. But but I was the only update guy to sell. So I get the job at 10-10 wins, and they go, whoa, this is Sid. And next thing you know, this update is sponsored by, what is that soda company you make it yourself? Oh, Soda Stream. Yes, I was the first to ever do those. 1-800-Flowers. So I became very valuable, and even though I sucked on the air, I'll admit it, Ben Maverick invited me back for year number two. You don't have that uh, type of um, <laughs> money in the bank. You don't have it. No, I also don't have that kind of time in the morning to triple, quadruple checks. So you're telling me it or... takes a lot of time to find out the Yankees are playing a three-game set instead of a two-game set? No, it takes two seconds. That's the problem. I glance, and sometimes I make a mistake. Well, why do you just glance? Because I have to get it done quick. I have to get the whole update done in 10 you minutes. you got four stories to cover. The Nuggets and the Heat, the Panthers and the Golden mm-hmm. Knights, the Mets and the Yankees. Yeah. How do you possibly not have enough time for four stories it's not about the time of the actual update. It's about the time I have in the morning. I have to get in and get to work for well, you. Well, I will say this, you, and I said this last week. You have become an unbelievable producer. Thank you. And I mean that. Thank you very much. I mean, the amount of work, it's not even fair. No, and, it's actually really not fair. And I, and, and I would, and listen, <laughs> no, 
you guys know, no one loves John and Margot more than me. And it's all genuine. It's sincere. I don't need to suck up to them. I don't. I really love them. They're great people. He's a great boss. And I love Chad. But what they're doing is unfair. You have more people working for Greg Kelly's stupid show. He gets a 2.6 than I have, and I get a 7.3. How is that even possible? How would any show at this station, any show at this station, demand more people than me? First of all, we're four hours, not one or two. Second of all, we pay most of the bills. If you don't want, if you don't want to hear it, tough. We pay most of the bills. If anybody should have extra people, it should be me. And you got to do all this. They took Macedonia Phil away for no reason. Get some dopey kid out there and run the board. Sorry, Chad. So if you're going to take away Macedonia Phil, give me somebody else. So now Justin is doing the work of three people. I walk in sometimes in the afternoon. I see nine people walking around and for Justin, shows that are one hour long and get a 2.5. And, and Justin is still here. Yeah, he's still here. <laughs> so I'm going to defend you in this case. Well, We're, thank you. But well, it's still no excuse. Well, Greg, <laughs> right now, now we've now we've come full circle. But you're still you're still, well, still stupid. You're still yeah. stupid and you suck. Dumb. Yeah. Bastard. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you go? I don't know. Well, hire Monica from across the street. We probably break. should. Yeah, that's right. Get Monica in here. She makes too much money. I think she, I don't even know. She can keep me in line. No, you're fine. You're great at what you do. You need help. You need some help. Not because you mess up sports three or four days a week. Pete King doesn't care. Pete King. Pete Morgan doesn't care. Yeah, I don't think Pete King. Does week. Pete King care? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. I. I don't even need help. I. I disagree in, with in the fact that I think we need help in the morning. I don't really think. I think we're doing a fine job. Us. Three You're doing in the a morning. great job. Yes. I could, but I could, yeah. I mean, I could. It would make more sense in my mind if somebody else. Wait a second. Would, would Are you actually Greg on Kelly's the air right now saying you don't need more help after I made this unbelievable impassioned argument <laughs> that we're getting screwed in the morning? I think we deserve more help, but I don't think we need it. But what if you had another person today? I just need another then you person. You would have had another two seconds to find out the Yankee was a three-game set that, and not a right. two-game set. You're right. You're right. I would just, I would, I would enjoy if somebody, maybe, I don't know, that was actually here for the Greg Kelly show would do Greg Kelly's show. Well, who show was that person? I'm not going to. No, don't be a pussy. Call him out. Who was it? It's not, it's not about. <laughs> who is it? Fat Kevin Drosh? No. Who is you it? Know, you know who. It's, it's the whole team that comes in in the afternoon. Well, nobody comes fine. in. Which Greg is Kelly fine. walks in. He's got a one o'clock, so he walks in at 12.59 with his Tom Cruise sunglasses. I know that. Like he's getting sevens like us. I know. And his whole, and his whole crew walks in. And then in. he comes on with me one day and he makes fun of him talking about I my wife being yeah, Maybe if you talked about your wife, you'd get better ratings. But for some reason, and there must be a reason for this, which I don't know what it is, but his team doesn't get in until until 1245 because no one knows nobody knows if you go to john's office today go to the fifth floor and say hey john i don't get it i'm here at 2 30 in the morning for a six o'clock show and you can tell by the product okay your other shows you don't get a three not even a three i'm laying it out there they show up a minute before walk in like they're saving the world <laughs> i'm breaking my ass for three and a half hours a day mm-hmm. and these guys are uh, they're here for an hour right and I'm not. Com- I'm, I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining. I understand other people have well, lives. Are, well, I'm they, have, complaining. they have kids. Well, now they have I'm families. I live yeah. alone in New York City, and I, it doesn't matter. You know. So what? But, shut up! I'm begging you to shut up. I know. I'm You're the only guy I've ever heard who makes an argument for and against himself I mean, in the I'm, same I'm second. Doing it, I'm doing it all right now. Yeah. Walk into court, be like, I'm innocent. No, I'm guilty. All right, I'm no, done. No, I'm innocent. No, I'm guilty. I'm done. I'm done. God, shut up. I'm okay. <laughs> Jesus. Joe Nolan, will you take over, please? My God. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know what, Where, what time is it? What time is it? <laughs>
77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Peter King says, um, I thought Justin spent all of his time bumping me off my time slot. Is King on tomorrow, 740 or 840? 740 tomorrow. So you screwed him again? No. No, 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 oh. no, 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 this is, of course, D-Day. Cornicelli served this country proud. He ran against uh, Andrew Garbarino, King's guy. He didn't win, but he should have. And uh, Bob is leaving us. He's moving to South Carolina. Going to join my dear friend Nancy, uh, Nancy Mace, my new best political friend. So uh, good luck to you, Bob Cornicelli, and thank you for listening every day. All right, we put this time aside every Tuesday. He's here Thursday as well because he's great. Spent the better part of two decades distinguishing himself as one of the greatest cops in the history of New York City. Has gone on to become a great actor. Motion pictures like Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, Goodfellas, TV shows like Godfather of Harlem and Gravesend. And, of course, most importantly, for nearly three decades, has been like a brother. And I mean that to me. He's my best buddy, the great Bo Deedle. Good morning, Bo. Good morning, Sid. Uh, all i got to say is now... We all got to take time to think about today, you know, with D-Day. And I've heard you this morning with your uh, with your great uh, uh, accolades about what happened. Thank you you. got to remember, in 1944, we were fighting a war in the Pacific. Mokatu, my uncles, died in the Marine Corps in Iwo Jima there. And then we were fighting in Europe, helping the, against the Nazis. And our Americans, when, when they talk about the greatest uh, generation, I mean, this is when Everybody, the, the, the people of the country, women would go making bullets and making airplanes and everybody collecting tires. This was something. And it, we all should be very, very honored that our, uh, our veterans, some of them gave their lives and some of them lived with that. And today is the epitome of what and how great America really is. And it is the greatest generation. And all my life, said. I love veterans. I go up. You know how strong I am. I turned yep. on your friend there, Trump, because of the veteran issue. To me, one percent of the people serve as veterans, and they saved this country from us speaking German or maybe eating fried rice or whatever the Chinese or Japanese, whatever they do over there. But God bless every veteran that is still alive. There's not many left from uh, from D-Day, and that's what we got to think about. I'm going to be on Thursday night. Uh, for the NYPD on the Intrepid, and I love walking around wow. there saying hello to all the veterans over there on the Intrepid. And I tell everybody, if you have a day off, take your kids over to the Intrepid, and they actually have people who fought in World War II that will talk to you. And when you listen to them, those eyes have seen everything, and it's beautiful. Okay, on that. That, note, that was great, by the way. Mo. That was great. Thank you. We we got to send a big shout out. Our guy Joe Esposito's heading towards Sloan as we speak right now for another treatment. And all our prayers got to be with Joe because we want Joe to beat this. He's in the best hospital over there. You know, Joe, a lot of people don't know Joe Esposito. He's a former chief of the department of the New York City Police Department, I think the longest running one. And he is a real 
New York City hero, and our lo- love and prayer goes out to uh, out to Joe there. Yes. Okay, let's get to some of these issues right now. Hey, you know where I live. I don't give a crap to people, and I'm on 90th in New York. Okay. I look down at Gracie Mansion. You know, my friend Eric Adams, he is my friend, and I'm a big supporter of him. I got a great idea because I got a great vantage point. Did you <laughs> ever go to Gracie Mansion? It's funny you say that. For the first time ever, me and Danielle went to Gracie Mansion just last Wednesday to celebrate Jewish Heritage Month, and what? I was there with the mayor and Fabian Levy and about 100 other Jews. But, yes, there's a beautiful picture on Instagram, Bo, of me and Danielle on the steps just five days ago at Gracie Mansion. Well, I'm going to tell you something. they got beautiful grounds there oh, yeah. that overlook the river. But here's the thing. Gracie Mansion is a very, very big house. Lots of bedrooms, lots of rooms and all. We could fit cops all over the <laughs> living room there and all those other rooms. And you know what? How about some tents on that beautiful water view with all these migrants? Come on, Eric. You want them? Why don't you bring them into your backyard, to your house? You know what? You're pushing this crap because you know what's going to happen? You're exactly right. You know what? I love Curtis Lever again. I love him. He is so right. Once they're in the fair for 30 days, try and get them out. You're not going to get them out. And then they're going to say, well, you have to go to tenant landlord court. And like Eric just said, uh, like Eric, like Curtis just said, yeah. Six, to six years from now, you maybe try to get them out. Don't do it. Stop the insanity. This is crazy. It ain't worth the hundred dollars. See, that's why. That's why Tuesdays and Thursdays are so great on this show because in the seven o'clock hour, I get Curtis and Bo. On Tuesdays, Thursdays are on different hours, but I can't think of two guys. I mean this sincerely. I can't think of two guys who are better New Yorkers who have devoted their lives to this city. You with police and all the great stuff that you do, Curtis, Guardian Angels. When you two guys speak on behalf of New York, to me, to me, Bo Deedle, it really matters. No, I mean, I'm, I'm still here. I'm 72 years old. I'm still here. I run a big security investigative business, and I deal with a lot of problems. And you know what the newest problem I had? I had to fumigate some of my security cars. They had bed bugs in them. I wonder who was driving in these cars. We had to fumigate. Wow. Bed bugs are coming back. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you bring these cucarachas in your house, prepare yourself, because bed bugs will be the least thing that you're going to catch in your house. How dare they stop? Where the hell is New York City going? When does this stop? What are we up to? 80,000? We don't know how many. That's the ones we can count. Now they got city machines around selling crack pipes. And they have these machines letting people know, oh, good, drug use is good. And now we were talking about all these legal uh, pot selling places. They have a few licenses that they gave out. They gave out certain licenses, I think maybe less than 10, whatever it is. And then you have people who got licenses to grow, and they can't sell it because they're selling all this illegal crap in almost 2,000 these illegal places. What are we doing? He, my friend walks around. He dresses good, my friend. Why don't you put some dungarees on, roll up your sleeves, and take issue? You should be in Washington in front of the United States Congress, in front of the United States Senate, in front of your friend there, uh, 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 the guy who dropped that all the time and falls down that moron and the reality is the reality is president biden is doing this to you and when are we going to draw the line we keep it how far does this go Sid? how far does this go i just i'm, I'm so incensed with this because we don't know when this is going to stop on another note we had a conversation and i talked to joe adabo uh, state senator he's the head of the gambling of new york his dad was 
a good friend of mine and my, and my uncle. He put me up for a page boy, Joe Adabo's dad, a really great congressman from South Queens. And I asked him the question because you and I were going back yeah, and forth yeah. with these gambling licenses. Well, what started with, do you know what it started? I'll tell you what it started. Because I had Bruce Blakeman, the Nassau yeah. County executive, on the day before, and yeah. they won the town approval easily, seventeen to one. Right. Right. Now they're waiting for right. the state, and uh, not now. Excuse me, they won the board. Now it's the state and well, the uh, here, here and the, the town. And you said to me, he ain't getting that casino on Long Island. No, 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 no. I have to. I, I'll, I'll pull it back because we only want to give the facts. Okay. And after speaking to say State Senator Dabble, who is the head of the gambling commission, he knows what's going on. Here's the facts. There are three gambling licenses in downstate. Right. Downstate encompasses Long Island, the five boroughs, and, and the area. That's downstate. what I said. There'll be two in the okay. city and one on Long Island. Okay. Okay. The Racinos. Remember, you have a Racino in Aqueduct, and you have one in Yonkers. They did not get one of these licenses. Right. None of these three licenses have been given. They could get one. Right now, it's up in the air of who is getting the license. I fully support Nassau County, and I fully support Blakeman. He's a friend. We're going to have dinner with him, I think, in a week or two, whatever. My point is nothing is in stone yet. This has not been determined. And people have to put up, I think, to get a license, I think they got to put up an unrefundable couple million bucks or yeah, something. Yeah. But this is what I was trying to say to you. I thought the Racinos in Aqueduct and the other one got no. two of those already. No, no, no none no. of the three. Here's the deal. I'll give you the point. answer right now. Blakeman is getting it. Like I, like I said, they won the local deal 17 to 1. It goes yeah. to the state. He's going to get it. And the two in the city, Steve Cohen is going to get it. I know the, yeah. that she's trying to shut him down. Jessica Ramos, he's going to get it at City Field and maybe 42nd like Street. Those are your three winners. Like you do you think you're going to you think you'll put it in 42nd Street? Maybe that's the only one I differ with you. I differ with that, but let's wait to see. But I just wanted to clear that up, Sid, because I only want to bring the facts. And I think by talking to the state senator who runs it all, yeah. I got the facts, and I just wanted to clarify that with you and I. Thank you. You're always on point. Now we saw what happened with this young student in the University of Cincinnati. This young gal. Going to college. This just shows you the crap that they teach our kids in college. She got a zero when she uh, wrote a term paper on, and she used the word biological woman. And uh, it's exclusionary, and it's not allowed in this course, and you're getting a, a zero because, and listen to this word, header heteronormality. What the hell does that mean? What our kids are being taught? I'll tell you something about heteronormality, whatever that friggin' word is. How about 0.03% are these transformers, these transvestites, whatever they called, what they call them things? What they call them? Transgenders. Transgenders. Okay, they're transgender. Yeah. Okay, point point zero three. Right, now they got them drinking beer, and they're down. Everybody that wants to, these people around them. You know what? You're going down a slippery slope. And remember, fifty five zero percent of these people, or whatever you want to call them, it's that what's I don't even know what the hell to call them. A fifty percent attempt to commit suicide or commit suicide. Do you think maybe something is wrong when you're injecting yourself with those friggin' chromosomes? Speaking about injecting yourself, that, that guy over there with CNN, he probably called you for a show at one time. Who's that guy over at CNN that's running it now? Oh, well, right now I believe it's Chris Lick, no? It used yeah, to be Chris Jeff Zucker. Yeah, yeah, well, Chris Lick, okay, all of a sudden he bullcrapped all his people in there. He told everybody, oh, I'm working out hard, I'm doing all kinds of training. He's a liar. I found out. Chris <laughs> yeah. Lick, you know what he's doing? What? You know what he's doing? He's injecting. He's injecting the, uh, uh, what do you call that? Ozentic. Uh, 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 he's injecting Ozentic. And that's why he's, 
He lost about 50 pounds. Everybody's doing it. They're now. all doing it. Everybody. Yep. Yep. Cheating, cheating. You're not where you work out hard. I do my eight, 90 push-ups every morning, all my crap. And then I tell you, and all of a sudden now they're cheating. They're cheating. So he made everybody think that he's working out. Yeah. You know what? That's the easy way out. But this is what everybody's doing. It was made for diabetes and they have different names. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing this, this Zempec thing. And the weight fall, I'll be honest with you, the weight falls off. Maybe I should inject the tape myself a little bit with this stuff. And now we have we have Congressman James Coma, and all of a sudden now he's looking at holding Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI. He should have been indicted, Ray, with all the stuff that came out of that report. And now all of a sudden he doesn't want to turn over these documents with this credible information. And if, if the United States Congress doesn't indict him for not following through, what is next? You know what it's all about? And I say it on the show. How can we have an America with a Justice Department, with this punk Marin Garden, Garden, whatever the hell his name Merrick is, Garland, and have yes. a Justice Department is used political, everything's political. Now the FBI is political. Where do you go for justice? Sid, where do you go for justice? If they decide know. they want to lock you up, Sid, for something you said on this radio, you're not going to have any, any, any help. One more thing, shout out. To Robert Hansen, you finally took the pipe, you said he was a former FBI agent that was a rat who gave up all American secrets to the Russians. Hey, bye-bye, dickhead Hansen. <laughs> you lasted a little longer than you, I thought. And Senator Scott, Senator Scott, he's my new guy. I love how he's chopped up those pigs on that uh, that view. A bunch of pigs over there. I want to tell you, this. we are in the eve of destruction. Like yep, yep. And that's it. And it's disgusting. That's it. Uh, great job as always, Bo Deedle. Another tremendous appearance, Bo Deedle. 740 on the phone every Tuesday, live in studio. 905 every Thursday. Always bringing the fire. New York and Sid Rosenberg love Bo Deedle. A lot more to come. 840, brilliant actor, Jazz Terry. His one-man show of Bronx Tale back at the Paramount Theater. 905, New York Post columnist Michael Goodwin. And coming up at 925 on this 79-year commemoration of D-Day, big-time Colonel Jack Jacobs. Second half of Sitting Friends in the Morning about to come your way. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. This ends the reading of communique number one from Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force. Ladies and gentlemen, this is New York, NBC Newsroom again. Men and women of the United States, this is a momentous hour in world history. This is the invasion of Hitler's Europe, the zero hour of the second front. The men of General Dwight Eisenhower are leaving their landing barges, fighting their way up the beaches into the fortress of Nazi Europe. 
They are moving in from the sea to attack the enemy under a mammoth cloud of fighter planes, under a ceiling of screaming shells from Allied warships. The first news flashes do not say, but a large proportion of this assault is believed to be in the hands of American men. They are making the attack side by side with the British Tommies who were bombed and blasted out of Europe at Dunkirk. Now, at this hour, they are bombing and blasting their way back again. This is the European front, once again being established in fire and blood, not only by the Americans and British, but by many allies in the fight against Axis aggression. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces. Success may not come with rushing speed. But we shall return again and again. And we know that by thy grace and by the righteousness of our cause, our sons will triumph. They will be sore tried by night and by day, without rest, until the victory is won. Not only the birthday for my Nana, Florence Noodleman, I know my beautiful wife, Danielle, is in the call listening right now. Can't say enough about Florence Noodleman, who practically raised my wife when my wife lost her mom at the tender age of eight. She was my mother-in-law. She was the mother that I knew for Danielle, and she was a great lady. We lost her about seven years ago. She's celebrating a birthday today, but of course, all those tapes you just heard, 79 years ago today... D-Day, June 6th, 1944, the Allied forces go into Normandy in their effort to end Nazi Germany's reign, end World War II. It was a rough day. You ever saw the movie Saving Private Ryan? They do a really good job there, Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks, of depicting just how rough it was. That was a movie, but it was close. Lost over 4,400 men that day. But we got the job done, and... The initial sound you heard was the radio broadcast 
And then you heard from our president, FDR, addressing the soldiers and making a prayer for the soldiers. You know what struck me? Is, hey, that's not Joe Biden, I can tell you that. But um, he said during that speech. Oh, my God, Joe Biden. Yeah, imagine that. Imagine ay, ay, ay. him doing it. He wouldn't even get the country right. Oh. Yeah. As we invade okay. Japan. Uh, no. Like, uh, no. Guam, Guam. As, as, pur- as purported <laughs> to have many obstacles for yeah. our troops. Come yeah. on, Jack. But what really um, struck me was he actually said prayed for our sons, and I got to tell you, the first thing I thought about was all these lefties, these liberals, if they heard that would be offended, Yeah, because he didn't say it. sons and daughters. Strike it. Right? You got to get rid of it. Got no good. Yeah. What yeah. about our daughters? Right. What about the women? What yeah. about the women? Yeah. What about the uh, other gender? Right. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the third yeah. gender. That's oh, the third a, gender, right? That <laughs> Chuck Todd. That's yeah. going to be out. Not realizing that back then, yeah. it was that, only men. That's, it was only men. That's going to be edited one day. That'll of course. Be, They'll throw it in there. Just right. take it out. Throw Kamala Harris's voice in there. Right. And daughters. Idiot. For the president of one of the toughest times in the country, FDR. Yeah. You know, just to continue on the historical note, while today is the 79-year commemoration of D-Day, yesterday was also a very historical day in, in our country's history. And that is that on June 5th, yesterday, 55 years ago, 1968, Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in a Los Angeles hotel as his son, RFK Jr., continues to be Joe Biden's Fiercest competitor. I mean, it's not close. It's like Trump and DeSantis. Trump 60, DeSantis 20. Biden 60, Kennedy 20. But for what it's worth, RFK Jr. is in second place now. Was on with Michael Skirmonish. Whatever that guy's name is that Frank Morano loves. Smirk, Smirkanish. Ah, who cares? Okay, whatever his 55 is. years ago yesterday, Dr. Bobby Connish. Kennedy was gunned down. So lots of history for you folks this morning. And if that gave you goosebumps, that opening, well, it should. The greatest generation, as Bo Dietl pointed out, we were once a great country. You don't have to go back to 79 years ago. Go back to about four years ago. We were a great country. And right now, we are anything but. Tim Scott, though, is a great American. He is running for president out of the state of South Carolina. Our friend Nancy Mace, who was terrific yesterday, she's out of Carolina. So, I don't know if you heard this story, but Joy Behar Yesterday, I described Joy Behar as a Jewish yenta. And I'm wrong. She's actually Italian. Joy Behar is Italian. So she's on The View last week calling out Tim Scott and Clarence Thomas because they don't know what it's like to be black in America. You believe this? White Italian Joy Behar telling Tim Scott and Clarence Thomas they don't know what it's like to be black in America. You don't believe me? Play the tape, Lou. And he's one of these guys who, you know, he's like Clarence Thomas, black Republican who believes in pulling yourself by your bootstraps, rather than, to me, understanding the systemic racism that African Americans face in this country and other minorities. He doesn't get it, neither does uh, Clarence. Right. And that's why they're Republicans. They don't get it. This comes from a white Italian loudmouth wench, Joy Behar. So Tim Scott hears this, and he actually... Has to go on the view. Like, what are you doing? Why would you go on that show? They're vicious, hateful, horrible women. 
horrible. And let me just say this. For all the women that are home, there's still a lot. Thank God there's more women in the workforce, and I mean that sincerely. Thank God there's a lot of women home. And only about 2 million ladies watch The View. That's not a lot because it's garbage. Whoopi's no good. Joy's worse. And the worst of all is this Sonny Holston. Who is this lady? I mean, God. So Scott says, I'm a man. I'm a proud Republican, a proud black man. I'm going on the show. And he did it. He went on The View yesterday and argued with these morons. Morons. So I've got the audio for you, which is great. (laughs) So you heard Joy throw out the first silo. Scott shows up, and this is Tim Scott. Uh, it's talking about that ridiculous message they had last week, and he had a couple of adjectives to describe it. Lewis, Tim Scott, cut number seven. My question to you is, I'm the exception, right? You're the exception. This Maybe is Sonny Hostin. Maybe Whoopi Goldberg is the exception. Oh, she's but, the but, but we are not the rule. <laughs> and so when it comes to racial inequality, it persists in, in five core aspects of life in the U.S. Economics, education, health care criminal justice and housing. At nearly every turn, these achievements were fought, threatened, and erased, most often by white violence. You have (laughs) indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? Let me answer the uh, question that you've answered. Or does it even exist in your mind? Let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show, is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, uh, I can't imagine. But, but, I can't, but it is. But it's not, actually. Here's, here's, it's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah, so, so the fact of the matter is we've had an African-American president, African-American uh, vice president. We've had two African-Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, the police chief is an African-American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African-American. Still in, 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% employment in the African-American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under 5%. Forty percent homelessness and fifty percent of, of the folks get, in our community. Get thirteen percent of the population. You have to ask the question. I know that I've watched you on the show that you like people to be deferential and respectful. So I'm going to do the that same is thing. Deferential, deferential, and respectful. She goes that issue. She wouldn't shut up, Sonny Hostin, with her stupid figures. He's going on and on, Tim Scott, about all this progress. We're far from perfect, folks. Far from perfect. I get it. Right? I'm a sports guy. There's only a handful of black coaches. I don't believe there's even one black owner in the NFL. I get it. we got a ways to go. But we've made incredible progress. And when people like Sonny Hostin go on the air every day and talk about white supremacy, which doesn't exist, doesn't exist, and how, you know, how battered her community is, that's a step backwards. That doesn't help. Doesn't help. And what does it do? It makes people angry makes that young black kid already hates the cops and thinks white people are the enemy, makes that person even angrier. And we give these people TV time. We've made incredible progress, as Tim Scott very eloquently pointed out. He wasn't done. Tim Scott 
Sonny Hostin Lewis. This is cut number eight, courtesy of ABC, The View. So here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest that the fact of the matter is that progress in America is palpable. It can be measured in generations. I look back at the fact that my grandfather, born in 1921 in Sally, South Carolina, when he was on a, on a sidewalk, a white person was coming, he had to step off and not make eye contact. That man believed then, with some doubt now, in the goodness of America, because he believed that having faith in God, mm-hmm. faith in himself, and faith in what the future could hold for his kids, would unleash opportunities in ways that you, you cannot imagine. Every kid today can look, just change the stations and see how much progress has been made in this country. ABC, NBC, CBS, ESPN, CNN, Fox News all have African-American and Hispanic hosts. So what I'm suggesting is that the yesterday's exception is today's rule. Well, I love this guy. I really do love him. And he's right about that. A concerted effort to do that, too. So I'm not sure why Sonny Hostin, who is black and makes millions of dollars, has so much hate in her heart. There's a million examples of famous black people today who yell and scream and bitch, while the average Joe, African-American, going to work every day, making 40 grand, maybe that much, making 30 grand, working 12-hour days, walking around with a smile on their face going to church on Sunday and loving their family and doing what great Americans do. But the sunny hostings of the world, she's had enough. Colin Kaepernick's $100 million, 49ers, white parents, fancy Nevada University. I've had enough. LeBron James, a millionaire at the age of 17, now a billionaire. I've had enough. Calling NBA owners slave owners when they paid him well over $500 million. Anybody else nauseous yet? Whoopi Goldberg did have one great moment yesterday. She did. When Tim Scott was introduced, this idiotic crowd, which goes to show you how many hateful and stupid people live in our country, booed the guy. They booed him. And Whoopi told him to stop. This is cut number nine. I think Disney and Ronnie have been in a combat zone for a number of months over what I thought was the right issue as it relates to our young kids and what they're being indoctrinated with. I thought he started off on the, wrong, on the right foot on that issue. It is no, 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 not here. Oh, no. I'm sorry, sir. Do, do not boo. There you go. Whoopi Goldberg, do not boo. Good job. My wife checks in. I love Tim Scott. Checkmate. And my wife, of course, is a product of a mixed marriage. And I love it to pieces. It doesn't matter to me. Couldn't care less. But she understands that there's been progress. And she'll be the first to tell you that we're not close to perfect. Of course we're not. Of course we're not. But that type of dialogue every day from those witches, that doesn't help. So I don't think Tim Scott has a chance in hell. Like they know he doesn't. Not a chance in hell to beat a Trump or a DeSantis He won't even come close, but I'll tell you this. If I'm either one of those guys and I win, I'm making Tim Scott something, Secretary of State, some huge job in my cabinet, I'm giving it to Tim Scott. Because he is, and not because he's black. Not because he's black. Tim Scott is a great American. Freedom's life burning warm. Freedom's life burning warm. 
great guitarist from the E Street Band, and of course, Silvio Dante, the soprano, is a very good friend of mine. He hates Republicans. <clears throat> it's okay. I still love him. So he invited uh, me and Danielle, him, Mike Sullivan, Peter Castellano, Joe Murray, the whole crew, invited us to the annual police ball, very fancy event for the cops in December, and that man right there, Gary U.S. Bonds, actually performed, and he was outrageous. He was so good, dancing, singing. I'm like, how old is that guy? Well, it turns out today is Gary U.S. Bond's birthday. He's 84 years old. And if you see this guy perform, you're not going to believe it. You are not going to believe it. Uh, this is uh, my friend Tim McCarthy. Great show today. Now, we made a suggestion, which I'll keep off the air, but it was very, very, very sweet. Thank you, Tim. Tim McCarthy, of course, used to be the PD here at WABC. Then he built... ESPN in New York, he is a great, not good, great radio mind. And uh, I love him. So thank you, Tim McCarthy, for the suggestion. All right, still to come, 840 Chaz Palminteri. His one-man show, A Bronx Tale, is back. We're giving away tickets for that, actually. He'll be here at 840-905. The tremendous New York Post columnist, Michael Goodwin, with the latest on Eric Adams asking you to take a migrant home. Yeah, like a stuffed animal. Let's take him home. Got a nice house. Hey, Sid and Danielle. Got a nice house out there in Rockland. Take a couple home. So we'll talk to Goodwin about that, which is beyond ridiculous. And then 925, we'll talk to the decorated Colonel Jack Jacobs on this, the 79-year commemoration of D-Day. What does uh, D-Day mean to you, Norm, uh, Norm Layden? What does it mean to you? Well, and I think it means the same thing it does to everybody. You sort of feel patriotic about the moment. What, that, that your answer you know, right there. What? Mean, you don't like my answer? Horrible. Well, First of all, you, you stammered and stuttered like Henry Hill. <laughs> and then you're like, well, it means, it means the same thing to everybody, which is basically, I don't know much about uh, it. It no, was 80 years true. ago. I, I know a lot about it. But, yeah. uh, uh, you what know, was the name of the... Of the two planes. Oh, I don't know. Oh, Please, look at, come dude, on. Who's getting a quiz now? <laughs> oh, good. Bernard. I oh. give the quizzes here, by the way, not you. You know, talking about Bernard, <laughs> I actually got a beautiful text from Carol McGurk, his wife. And um, we sent uh, Bernie's grandson, Colin, some beautiful clothing. Danielle really did it. And Carol's son, Brendan, and his her daughter-in-law, they loved all this stuff. And then we lost contact for a while, about a month. And Carol sent me such a beautiful text on Friday. 
once again thanking me and Danielle for the clothing. And she's been listening. And she loves the show. Loves it. And she specifically loves Naomi. I can't tell you how many people love my mother. And my mother, who no one loves more than me, nobody, is certifiably insane. She's insane. But she says all the things that you guys are thinking, which means you're all insane too, by the way, and has zero fear, zero. And uh, she proved a week ago you can play a joke on Naomi, and she's cool. (laughs) But, But Eric Adams, his suggestion, take a migrant home. So when my mom was on the last time, about a week ago, I referenced that possibility of maybe a migrant showing up at Naomi's house in upstate New York. Now, before I play this, let me tell you, we get a lot of feedback on my mom's appearances, a lot. And everybody loved this answer. Some of you are going to be horrified. My own wife, probably. You're going to be horrified. My audience loved it. So let me ask again. Hey, Mom, if a migrant shows up at your house, how's that going to go? If, if, if you had a gun and one of these people showed up, you, what, what did you say, Mom? What would happen? I'd blow him right away. Didn't he, Ferris? I'm telling you, I would not even think I would stop for a moment. I'd blow him right away. So I don't think that she's all in on the Eric <laughs> She's not in now, is she, No. Well, maybe if you tell her it's 100 bucks a night, she might. Maybe a thousand. hundred bucks a night ain't going to work. All right, what do you got today, Noam? What's happening? You know, we've been following this story, this awful story of the Cessna. We're getting more details. The Cessna that floated into restricted airspace in D.C. on Sunday. Four people on board. And uh, we're getting some tape, too, from some of the people involved. So it, the pilot was slumped over the controls. That we, not much we know. We don't know right. a whole lot more. So because it went into Washington airspace, these F-16, six of them, six F-16s caught up with this plane. And we have a little bit of the audio of that, of them racing these F-16s to get to the Cessna to see that it wasn't a terror attack of some sort. Departure, Cosmic Zero 2 is airborne with an active alert scramble. Cosmic Zero 2, Atlantic City, departure. I'm looking for an on-course heading of 040. Yeah, and they raced so fast to get to the Cessna, there were uh, sonic booms heard all over Washington, D.C. People had no idea because they they wanted to catch up with this plane in case Mm. it was. The pilot was slumped over. It then crashes into the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Yesterday, they finally made it to the plane. It was in a really remote area, this mountainous area. They catch up with the plane, uh, or they go to the site. The, there's not much left of the plane, and it hit this mountain area really hard. Mm-hmm. And they really still don't know what happened. Now, you remember there was a similar story back in 1999, Payne Stewart, the golfer. Do, Payne Stewart, uh, not that long before that, had that amazing putt in North Carolina to win the championship. He's the guy that wore the knickers. He was a musician. And it wasn't just Payne Stewart. On that same plane was one of the biggest agents in sports. Guy represented Bill Parcells. At the time, Bill was still a big-time coach in the NFL. Payne was the most famous name. But there were like four guys on that plane, all very well-known in the sports industry. And what happened was either a window or a door opened, 
and that knocked them all out. You know, you lose your oxygen level at that altitude. So they all got knocked out, and eventually that plane hit a mountain, eerily similar to this story. Yeah, and that plane flew for 1,400 miles for hours. Do you remember they were following it the whole time trying to figure? It was on autopilot, and then it ran out of fuel, and that's when it crashed. They don't know what happened here, but we know the personal toll, and uh, it's just so sad, uh, Sid. This woman, uh, Adina Azarian, was on with her two-year-old daughter, their nanny. They lived out in the Hamptons, uh, the pilot, of course, on board this flight as well. And the parents are a wealthy couple who lived in North Carolina, and they were returning from a trip for visiting them. And this couple had lost another daughter. This is the second daughter they had lost. Yeah, and so yesterday... The father spoke to CBS. Here's what he had to say. I never met a sweeter person than Adina. This is the second daughter I've lost. And she was the most wonderful human being I have ever met. Oh, my God. We adopted her. Yeah, and the first daughter, uh, they had adopted her. And the first daughter that died, Victoria, died in a scuba scuba diving accident back in 1994. She's buried on Long Island. And now they have a, how much can... One set know. of parents bear. I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't <laughs> seem right. And um, well, here's the mom. The mom was speaking to CBS as well yesterday. We'd like to thank everyone who has reached out with words of comfort. We're also very grateful for the efforts of the first responders and the FAA and the NTSB and the state police. And life had given so much to this family, the Rumples. They had started this successful assisted living business, and that's how they had become very wealthy. I mean, they made themselves wealthy because they worked so hard, but have so much personal pain tied into that. It's just, it just, it's, oh, it's god awful. Yeah. Um, so the NTSB is going to be back out in the mountainous area again today, and. Right now, they say they really have no clue. I mean, we asked them. We said, is this another Payne Stewart story? And they said, we just don't know. We yeah. have no idea. Yeah. Well, that's a great job covering a terrible story. So thank you, Noam. You did that very, very well. Sure. Uh, and I do want to make very, very clear that uh, my mother's comments, going back to the migrants, while highly entertaining, and I want her to continue to make comments like that. That's why people love her. Uh, I don't share the same view. But that's my mom. And uh, that's why people do love her. Anyway, we got a run of three great guests in a row coming up. The great actor, writer, producer, director, my dear friend Chaz Palminteri, into big-time New York Post columnist Michael Goodwin, into a very decorated colonel, uh, Jack Jacobs, on this D-Day. All three coming up in succession. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. How many of us have them? 77 WABC. What are you, a Yankee fan? Yeah. Sit down. No, come over here. Sit over here next to me. Come here. So you must be pretty upset after the Yankees lost. Bill Mazeroski. I hate him. He made Mickey Mantle cry. The paper said that the Mick was crying. Mickey Mantle, is that what you're upset about? Mickey Mantle makes $100,000 a year. How much does your father make? I don't know. You don't know? Well, see if your father can't pay the rent. Go with Mickey Mantle and see what he tells you. Mickey Mantle don't care about you, so why should you care about him? Nobody cares. (laughs) 
ain't right about that. Mickey Mantle don't care about you. None of these guys do. And I become friendly with a lot of athletes. Post, like Dwight Gooden, he's a friend of mine. Many giant players. You guys now call him with guys like Bill Sims and Lawrence Taylor. But truth is, they kind of loosen up when they're done playing. But while they're playing, they don't care. And uh, we um, we live and die for these guys. But what's funny about that scene in a Bronx tale, which is just an amazing piece, whether it's a Broadway musical, a movie, or the one-man show that my dear friend Chance continues to do. We'll do it again at Paramount Theater shortly. The amazing thing about that scene is that Chaz loved Mickey Mantle. <laughs> and Chaz is a diehard Yankee fan. Dating back to the days when he was a little boy, and his dad would take him to the Bronx and give out baseballs. So while he did say during that scene, Mickey Mantle don't care about you, and he was right playing the role of Sonny, he is a diehard Yankee fan, and he cared about Mickey Mantle. But he cares about a lot of people. That's why I love him. He's my dear friend, Chaz Palminteri. Good morning, Chaz. Good morning, Sid. How are you? How are you? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good. You know, it's funny when you when I hear that uh, song, when I hear that scene, it's uh, it's the 30th anniversary, you know, the 30th anniversary of a Bronx Tale, the movie. In fact, June 17th, we're showing it at the Tribeca Film Festival in the Beacon Theater. Wow. And De Niro, yeah, and De Niro and I, we're going to do a Q&A, come on the stage. And we're going to answer questions about the film. June no, 17th. is that so, true? Yeah. yeah. See, see yeah. here's the thing, Chance. Like, everybody I talk to is your friend. Oh, you know, I'm friends with Chance Martin. I go, okay, whatever, fine, sure, you're fine, fine, okay, okay, fine. Uh, right. And I used to be like, well, he's my friend, too. I stopped doing that. Now I'm like, okay, great, you're his friend. Um, but the truth is, <laughs> I swear to God, I'm so, but the truth is, because everybody does love you, and you got you, you got restaurants, you're, but you and I have been friends for like 20-something years. When I was on my right. ball's ass of my career, when nobody wanted me, I went to watch you in Pompano Beach, and you said to me what you said to Little C. You said, Sid, wasted talent. Don't let that happen to you. So all these friends of yours that are going to be there on June the 17th, I'm a guy that's really been your friend for a long time. That's right. You have been. Oh, a long, long time, Sid. A long time, and I've been following your career a long time. I mean, when I heard you, you know, you're very distinct, man. You come on that radio, and you go, that's Sid Rosenberg. That's Sid Rosenberg. You open your mouth, not even a sentence goes by. That's Sid Rosenberg. <laughs> and, and, that, and, and that's what's greatness, man. And, uh, you know, I'm real excited. I'm always excited to talk to you because we have fun and we laugh, you know. No, we do. We have fun. We laugh. And we talk about some serious Serious topics. Still, maybe we'll get there today. I'm not sure, but I do want to talk about the Paramount Theater again. I'm going to come June 17th, by the way. But uh, 30 years. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay, so I'll yeah. talk to you after the show. Uh, 30 years since this whole thing started. You've told the story of how you wrote it and what you had to go through to get it to where it is today. But I will tell right. people this: it, the movie is fantastic. It's not good. It's fantastic, and I love the Broadway show. I wish you would bring it back. But for me, and I said this to you many years ago, the one-man show is the best of all three pieces. Somehow or another, Chance Palminteri plays every single role, every single role, and pulls it off brilliantly. Yeah, it, it was just an idea I had. You know, a lot of people, thought, more people are realizing now that the one-man show was first. That's what Robert De Niro saw, and that's how the whole thing happened. I, did, I wanted to write something that would really showcase my talents as an actor. 
And so I had this idea of writing this movie and playing all the parts myself on stage. And uh, it was the first time it's ever been done. It hasn't been done since. I'm actually the first guy ever to write and star in the, in the one-man show, the musical, write the musical, star in the musical, write the movie, star in the movie. So, wow. uh, I'm, yeah, I'm really, uh, you know, proud of that. But it's the one-man show because I am Collegio. I am. I'm, so when people see it, it's a very personal connection. I mean, they jump up, they cheer. They, you know, uh, Alfred Hitchcock used to say, so there's only three things you could do to an audience. And if you do two out of three, you've got to hit he says you can make them laugh, you can make them cry, or you can scare them. That's it. And in, in Bronx Tale, I do all Interesting. three. You, you do. laugh, you cry, yeah. and I scare you. Yeah. You know, so it, it, June 11th, I'll be doing it at, at, uh, you know, at the Paramount Theater in Huntington, one of my, my favorite place to do the show. I love doing the show there. Uh, and uh, actually, June 23rd, I'll be in Dover, Delaware at the Rollins Theater. So those are the two dates. And I tell people, if you want to get tickets, you go to chazpalmentary.net, and they'll put you right to the site. And if you've never seen it, you said you've seen it, you could tell them. Oh. If you've never seen it, you've got to see it because that's the genesis of how the movie started. There it is right there. There it is right I mean, there. I literally do. The yeah. dialogue is the same. It I is the, the same. same yeah, it's the <laughs> yeah. same. And I don't know how you do it because, and I'm being honest, Jez, it takes a lot of energy, a lot. Yeah. I mean, unlike, look, I, I got yeah. my first four into acting last year, and, you know, I'm in that movie, Gemini yeah, Lounge. And, yeah, thank you, thank you. And there's a very famous picture of me, you, and Vinnie Pastore and Bo Dietl outside of Michael's Restaurant before we both shot scenes uh, for Gravesend coming out in, uh, in July. But you know right. this. You're an actor. You do a lot of standing around. I mean, you sit there for three hours while the director picks his ass. You, in this, in this one-man show... You're busy the whole time. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, you know what? I work out six days a week. I rehearse on the treadmill when I know I'm doing the show. Uh, it's it, you got to stay in shape. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. You know, I've been doing the show for 34 years now. Uh, I, it'll, I see the Paramount will be my 1,020th performance. Wow! So uh, uh, it's I, I got to say I got to tell people if you never saw it, you got to see it. It's really uh, it's something to be seen. It really is. It really I think it's a piece is. of Americana. I consider a Bronx tale, uh, and I mean this, historical, a piece of Americana. Mm-hmm. But for folks that don't know, I know you've told it a billion times, but you never know. This show gets such <clears throat> immense ratings. <clears throat> yeah. There may be some new listeners. Uh, you were performing the show. Robert De Niro was in the audience. I don't know if you knew he was in the audience or not, but no, he loved it no, so I much. Didn't, I didn't know. Okay, right. so and he loved I, it I so much that he came to you and said, "Let's do a movie." What happened was, I wrote it. The reviews came out and got in astounding reviews. It was insane. Uh, every writer, director, producer, actor wanted to play Sonny. Every producer wanted to produce it. Every big time director wanted to direct it. Every studio wanted it. I got over two hundred fifty thousand. As soon as the reviews came out, I said, "I want to play Sonny. I want to write this screenplay." They said, "No." They said, you're not a, nobody knows you. You're a great actor, but nobody knows you. We're sorry. I said, no, well, I'm not doing it. Uh, three weeks later, 500000 Again, I said, no. Wow. A month later, the crowds kept getting bigger, $1 million. Again, I said, no. After I turned down a million, people thought I was crazy. About two weeks after that, I did the show, standing ovation. I get off stage, and the guy, my stage manager says, you better get down to your dressing room. Robert De Niro is waiting for you. He just saw the show. 
I go downstairs. There was Bob in the corner. And he said, he was talking to me. He says, I know what's going on. He says, look, if you end up selling it, they're going to come to me anyway, he said. <laughs> and, he, and he said to me, <clears throat> and he said to me, look, I think it's a great show. Let me tell you. And I said, Bob, but nobody wants to give me a shot. He said, well, I'll tell you what I want to do. You should play Sonny. You'd be great. You should write the screenplay because it'll be honest. It'll be your life. And he goes, I'll direct it and I'll play your father and I'll make it right. And if you shake my hands, that's the way it'll be. And that's what happened. Wow. So was that the first time you met him that mm-hmm. night? Yes. Yeah. And, and then first after that, you, you, got, you, did, you guys did like analyze this, analyze that. Yeah, like, we did four movies. Yeah, we did four. four movies. Yeah. Well, when my best, you know, he's one of my closest friends. I'm going to his 80th birthday. You know, uh, soon is you know, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're having a, uh, you know, so it's it's exciting. Yeah, he's, he's a uh, Bob's. Great listen, guy. Great I, guy. I, I, I listen. Uh, if people get mad at him in this industry because yeah. he, I don't care. Like, uh, I mean, I'm 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 more upset with him about having kids at 80 years old than I am about actually uh, about his uh, political beliefs. But uh, and I still love the guy. The guy's a great actor. But you know, does he say silly things about politics? Who doesn't these days, right, Chaz? Who doesn't? Yes. Well, everybody ha- look. I, you know, this is America, and everybody has their own views about politics, and and I think that's what that's why this is a beautiful country. And if everybody has it, their own view, that's wonderful. You know, uh, you know what they say when you sit down at the dinner table: don't talk politics, don't talk religion. Right. Uh, you know, Bob is my friend; yeah. he'll always be my friend, and and I'm his friend. And, Not, and uh, right. don't talk know, politics. Don't talk politics. Don't talk religion, and don't talk about the Mets. Because, God, do we you suck. talk about the Mets. Yeah, God, we suck. Well, you know, I, I don't know what it is. The Mets, you know, the Mets, no matter who they get, uh, they just can't seem to to put it together. I don't understand that. I, I don't. I just don't. Yeah, don't and as, and, as is, a, but... and, and you're, a, you're a diehard Yankee fan that really breaks your heart, huh, Chaz? <laughs> Let me tell you something about the Mets. <laughs> I have to say it. You know, really, Sid, don't you hate people that say, well, I'm a Mets fan and a Yankee fan. I said, no, you're not. Can't you're be. not. Right. You can't, you can't be. You right. can't be. Am I right, Sid? No, listen. When I was a kid growing up, I would – the only thing that was as good as a Met win was a Yankee loss. A Ranger exactly. win, an Islander loss. A Giant win, a Jet loss. That's the way it's supposed to work. Yes. That's normal. Right. And I always tell people that. I go, look, I I don't begrudge the Mets, but I'm not a Mets fan. No. And if they lose, I go, uh. <laughs> You know, if, if, if the Yankees if the Yankees lose on a day, I get really upset. So the, if the Mets are on, I put them on just to see. I hope they lose. Right, you know. So it, it, that's just the way it is. I can't help it. I'm but sorry. but but wait, but a Buck Showalter, the manager of the Mets, shows up at one of your two great restaurants, Theater District and Westchester. He gets the same yeah. treatment as Aaron Boone. Yes. Yes, he does. Yes. No, <laughs> restaurant, that's different. That's different. No, no. My restaurant, yeah. my restaurants, I got two of the great Italian restaurants, one on 30 West 46th Street, Chas Palmentary's, and one on in White Plains, 264 Main Street uh, in White Plains. And and you come in there, you get served the best food, and you get uh, A1 service. We love food. it. Me and Danielle love those restaurants. And also, don't forget your friend Jack across the street, Empire Steakhouse, and he does a great yes. job, too. Great job. Great job. Uh, and uh, uh, people, that, they even come to our restaurants for steaks sometimes because we have the same steaks that Empire has. So, uh, you know, uh, they run a great ship. Uh, you know, the Sinan's brothers, Jack and Jeff, run a great ship, and uh, and, uh, and that's important. They do. You know, it's funny. I was talking about Gravesend a couple of minutes ago, and June 29th is going to be the, the red carpet premiere, and season two will be out in July. 
And, you know, almost everybody in that series, from the writer, creator, director, star, William DeMeo, to Peter Gordio, to I don't know how many guys, but almost everybody in that series says the same thing to me. You know who gave me my first shot? Chairs, Palm, and Terry. Like, every young actor in Hollywood today was in a Bronx tale. Every one of them. Yeah. Yes, a lot. Yes. Right? <laughs> That's true. Yes, yeah. Well, Bob wanted to use all these young... It was really Bob's idea. He wanted to use non-actors who were just looking to be actors. And uh, we found a lot of wonderful, talented Italian kids. Willem DeMeo was one. Uh, many of those guys did. Never acted before. You know, Alfred Cercelli... Alfred Schocelli played Bobby Bob. Yep. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, wonderful actors came out of Bronxville, obviously. A lot of them. And, and then and the apple didn't fall far from the tree because talking about Chairs and Gravesend and these other folks, your daughter, who, of course, is an aspiring actress, Michigan, all that beautiful yeah. kid, she's in the series too, yeah. right? My daughter, Gabriella Palmateri, yes, she's in the series. In fact, she was in it a year before me. She got me the job. I use my dad. I think my dad would be good at this part. Yeah. <laughs> no, my, dad, my my daughter was in. Actually, my son did a uh, did a part in. It. He played my driver, my bodyguard in a in a, in a oh. thing. It was you. Both of them are doing really good. You know, they had the card in their room. The saddest thing in life is wasted talent. They both work really hard. My son graduated Berkeley. And my daughter is uh, one more year of you know, University of Michigan. You know. And that's what it is. That's what it's about, kids. Just like, look, you have wonderful children. Same thing. Thank you. You know? Uh, you know, you look at the kids and you see that, you know, where they come from. You know, they, you know, it doesn't fall far from the tree. You know, you got wonderful kids and uh, they're great kids. And my kids are great. You know, all I care is about a guy says to me, you know, you got great kids. Chad. Me too. Oh, thank me you. too. That's all I care about too. Yeah. And look, our wives are both great mothers. And one thing about you, yes. Chaz, as big as a superstar as you are, and you are, you become super. I mean, you're a big time guy. Come on, you're Chaz Palmentary. You're, you're very grounded. Yeah. You know, you're, you're a father, a family guy, beautiful wife, two great kids. And like you just said, to me, even though, yes, Bronx Tale, you're famous, you're, you know, you're in the show also with Ed O'Neill and uh, Sophia Viagra, all that great stuff. Yeah. To me, your chair is the friend, the father, just a, a very loyal guy for 20-plus years. I know this. If I'm stuck at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm in trouble, if I call yeah. Chaz, he's not going to say yeah. to me, I'll call you back later. Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. And today, today is our 31st anniversary for my wife and I. Is that today, right? I woke up. That's right. Today, I woke up this morning, and I wish my wife a happy anniversary. We're going to go out later, and uh, and she says hi, and she's waiting. Oh, I love right her. Now. I love your wife. Yeah, you know what's weird about that? You know what's weird about that? Your anniversary is 31 years today. In 19 yes. days on June 25th, Danielle and I celebrate. Same exact number, 31 years. What, in 31 years? In yes, we got married wow. in 1992 in Brooklyn. Oh, man, isn't that something? <laughs> isn't that unbelievable? Wow. Wow, it's 32 years. 31. Oh, 31 years. Yeah, 1992. Wow. 31 years. You and your wife and me and my wife. And you guys got married on D-Day, and it ended up perfect. How about that, Chance? <laughs> <laughs> we got married on D-Day. That's true. <laughs> Oh, God. You know, I thought about that after we got married. <laughs> then I said, well, at least we didn't get married on 9-11. You know, 9-11 <laughs> right, exactly. It would have been worse. So, listen. <laughs> uh, that would have been a rough day to get married. <laughs> so, 
Give us uh, – let me ask you this on the way out then. Do you go tonight sure. to celebrate your anniversary? Do you go to your own restaurant or someplace no, else? No. No. All right. No, no. I don't go to my own because my wife said tonight – you know, she, I said, you pick the restaurant you want to go to. We, I want to go to – because it's, it's a – if I go to my restaurant – it's look. They're going to ask for you know. It's always at the end photos. Right, you don't want that walking in. Right, yeah. So it's our anniversary. So we're going to go to a private dinner somewhere. I love know, it, and, uh, and and really love it. But uh, you know, Sid, I you know, look at your life, look at my life, and we're blessed. Sid, we're blessed. Yeah, and every no day you got to thank God and be grateful, and say thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, uh, because that's the way I feel. I right? do. No, I I have uh, gratitude has uh, replaced a lot of. Anger and resentment and all those negative emotions. I tell my wife and kids all the time, they get you nowhere. I am. I do. Nowhere. I have a lot of gratitude for, for family and friends and, and people like you and my job and, and health. And, you know, I lost my father a couple of summers ago, and that still hurts a lot. You know, Jazz. But, of course, yes. But otherwise, I'm, I'm a very lucky guy, yes. Yes. Yes, the more gratitude you have, the better it is. Because, you know what they say, the devil only goes to a busy person. You know, they always want to... They always want to go to a person that's on the way up, you know what I mean? Yep. They don't bother the person who's who's a bum or somebody, you know, in the street. They don't bother them. Oh, they I know, know that. They'll, they'll just go to somebody who's doing really well. That's, yep. that's the way the forces work in the world. So, True. And that's what my dad used to say. Don't waste your talents, son. Promise me. And I'm glad. That's why I do the show. I do the show when I do the – I love doing the show. I feel when I'm on that stage, people go, aren't you bored? I go, bored? Are you kidding me? Every time I get up there, I can't wait to do it. I'm so excited to do it. I just can't wait. And Sid, I want to tell you before I go, I'm coming out with my own Bronx, uh, with a, with a, I mean, with a great company, uh, a, a Bronx Tail Cigars, and it's going to be. They've been blending it for three, four years now. Wow. And it's finally ready to come out. And I'll let you know when it comes out. We'll talk. Oh, about that's going to be great. So you're going to have like a cigar shop. You're going to sell them retail. How's that going to work? Oh, it's going to be retail, online, all over. Nice. Oh, it's going to be all, all done. It's going your, to be really nice. Your, your friend uh, Big Tommy there, he smokes a lot of cigars, drives Cadillacs. I think he's in uh, the TV show. He'll smoke them all. Well, that's great oh, news. Oh, Big Tommy. Yeah, yeah, you know that's Big Tommy. <laughs> he's a great guy. He's a character. He's yeah, a he is. Guy. Character. Yeah, I love character. that guy. Hey, listen, I'm happy for you. One more time on the way out, give the two dates and locations again for your upcoming yeah, shows. June 11th, June 11th, Sunday, Sunday. I'll uh, be at the Paramount Theater in Huntington, New York. Uh, they got a foundation room at the end of the show. You can go down to the foundation room. They got speakeasy. It's an incredible place to have dinner and see a show. And June 23rd, I'll be at the Rollins Theater in Delaware. Uh, so uh, if you never saw the show, you've got to come and see it. Come backstage at the, when at the end and say hi. Cheers. Happy anniversary. I love you, pal. Thank you. Same here, brother. Stay well. You're the best. My friend Chaz Terry and his wife is such a beautiful lady and a great mom. 31 years. Happy anniversary, Chaz. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Nights in white satin Never reaching the end Letters I've written Never meaning to send Beauty I'd always miss With these eyes before Just what the truth is 
Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Boy, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Daily Beats. Thank you, John Cascatini, supporting that. Chris Licht, the guy running CNN at the Jeff Zucker. That Licht is in big trouble, too. In fact, many of the CNN talent call Licht dead man walking. Well, he lied anyway. He said he was going to, you know, big stuff, and they're going to go towards the middle, and blah, blah, blah. It's the same crap every day. Same crap. They fired Don Lemon. Big deal. It's the same crap. Donald Trump. Let's beat up Donald Trump every day. That's all they do. So I will shed no tears if the Daily Beast is right and Chris Licht is gone because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And if you hate Trump, that's fine. Let me read this headline to you. Maybe you won't hate Trump so much. You ready for this? Kamala Harris is a Biden fall away from being in the Oval Office. So just when you thought you hated Donald Trump, that's Michael Goodwin who wrote that. He's a genius. Just when you thought you hated Trump, how does Miss President Kamala Harris sound to you? I sound good. If it does, you're a moron. With that said, here he is, the man who authored that piece. He's on Weekly now because he's great, my friend Michael Goodwin. When I saw that a couple of days ago, my wife Danielle and I, we saw that, Michael. We laughed, and then we were terrified. It's both. Right. That's it, Sid. Uh, you know, I, I, elsewhere in the piece, I used the phrase, uh, one banana peel away. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it, right? I mean, Biden Biden does a header, and Kamala's in the uh, Oval Office. Jeez. I mean, what? You know, we're very close. We've been this close, of course, all along, ever since uh, they, they were sworn in in January of 21. Uh, here we are. Uh, the president seems to be falling more often now. Um, and if you watch that fall that he took at the Air Force Academy last week, there was something. Yes, he, he says there was a sandbag, um, you know, holding down the microphone or whatever, a weight uh, and that they, he tripped over that. But if you look at the whole thing, when his left foot hits the sandbag or something, you can't quite see what it hits, his right leg doesn't really react. I mean, so he falls like a sack of potatoes. Yep. I mean, there's no real resistance from hmm. his body. And he lands, I think, mostly, it looks like, on his elbow or something. But he's clearly... You know, somewhat incapacitated in his walking, his gait. I mean, so what diseases does he really have? What is his cognitive yeah. uh, situation? Because the White House clearly wants to hide him. They won't give, there'll be no testing of his mental acuity that will ever be released. Uh, they clearly intend to hide him as much as possible from the media, and from the public during the campaign. I mean, when you look at these scripted events, they are, he's almost like he's wheeled out, put in front of a microphone, and then wheeled away. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, it's not it's not a president in the full sense of the word. And then you read these things that he works four or five hours a day. We know he's constantly in Delaware at one of his two houses there. We, you know, the fact that the Secret Service uh, will not release who visits him there. I mean, it's like this great black blob <laughs> that we don't, we can't pierce. And why? What are they hiding that we can't know about him that would that would destroy him if we knew it? I mean, that's the only way to interpret this incredible amount of secrecy and seclusion. My wife, Danielle, always brings this up. I think it's a great point, Mike. We see these public polls, right? He's on TV. He's making a speech. He's at an academy. How many times do you think Joe Biden falls that we don't see? I mean, right. I mean, just think about that. He must fall twice as much when he's not on camera, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, on, on the way back from the, the Air Force Academy, he bumps his head coming out of Air Force One or us the helicopter, I forget which, but he bumps his head. And so this idea that he is fully functional, I mean, that's what the White House would have you believe. But as time goes on and we see him, uh, that's less and less credible. And so the significance, of course, is not only is Kamala Harris waiting in the wings, uh, to play with the the, the uh, nuclear football, uh, but you also have him asking for four more years. I mean, so not just finishing this term, which would be up through November of next year, but to start four more years after that. I mean, is That's that insane. really yeah. possible? Until he's 86 years old, he's already physically declined to the point he can barely walk up and down a stage 86 years old, but this is how sick the Democrats are in their everyday call to beat Donald Trump. They still feel like this guy can do it. He's the only guy that can do it. RFK can't do it. Uh, Newsom can't do it. He's the guy. And I have to tell you this. I saw a poll just last week, Michael Goodwin, where 40%, 40 of Americans believe Joe Biden is doing a good job. I'm going to ask you... Tell me one thing. I know. Tell me one thing that has improved under Joe Biden since he took over for Donald Trump. One. You know, uh, that reminds me of, of a line said that uh, goes back to uh, Nixon when, when he uh, wins, wins one of his elections in the, uh, the second election in a landslide. And, and there's a, a, a writer in New York. I I. For, I Forgive me for the name uh, because it's so long ago. But she says, that's funny. I don't know a single person who voted for him. Uh, That's true. In Manhattan, probably nobody voted for him. But the same with Biden. I would like to meet one of those 40 percent. I'd like to find a person. I've never met a person who says Joe Biden is doing a good job. Now, they may say I prefer him over Donald Trump or I prefer him over Ron DeSantis. But that's different from saying he's doing a good job. I approve of his job performance. On what basis could you possibly approve of his job performance? I mean, it, it, it befuddles the mind, which calls into question, you know, voters' knowledge and also the polling system. Yeah. I mean, 
Really? Yeah. 40% of the public yeah. thinks he's doing a good job? And then oh. you've got, uh, I know you knew Jimmy Breslin, the great writer, a sure. legend. So he's got a kid, he's got a bunch of kids, but his son Kevin has befriended me. He's a great guy. I love Kevin Breslin. And for some reason, he's having this love affair with RFK Jr. We know, of course, yesterday was the 55-year anniversary that Bobby was murdered in a hotel room, and his kid Jr. is running, and he is getting upwards of 20%, but he's still getting destroyed in that race. I mean, he's got no chance of winning that, even with Biden the way he is, right? Well, that that would seem to be the case right now, Sid. And I and I do think that uh, should he overcome the Biden hurdle uh, in some way, I think there would still be resistance just because beyond his name, you, you've got to get a fix on Robert Kennedy Jr. But but you raise a, a fascinating point because he uh, Kennedy is getting somewhere uh, in around 20 percent of the Democratic vote in most polls. But. The Democratic Party, again, back to hiding Joe Biden, uh, will not allow any debates in this in the Democratic race for president. So what they've effectively done is say, you shall not challenge Joe Biden. You will not be on the same stage with Joe Biden. You will never get a chance to debate Joe Biden. We're going to hide Joe Biden. We're going to protect him. Now, I think this is a Big disservice, because when you look at where the Democratic Party is now and where it's going, uh, only about 35, 38 percent of Democrats tell pollsters they want Biden to run again. So if, if that holds, if they don't think Biden is fit to be president for a second time, he can't win the election. By the same token, if they're afraid that when he's trotted out on stage with a Robert Kennedy, he would fall flat on his face or say something incredibly stupid or reveal himself to be utterly incompetent, uh, then you're sunk too. I think the Democratic Party has to allow debates, even if it's just one time. I think they have to show that Joe Biden is competent and fit and ready for four more years. Otherwise, I think Democrats are not going to show up for him in the general election. Now, of course, as we were talking, many of them will vote the party. Uh, Roger Ailes once said to me about, you know, one of his shows, he said, I could put a dead raccoon on there and I would get the same ratings <laughs> as CNN gets. True, right? true, true. I mean, that's, just, that's the sort of thing about, I, I, I think, with the Democrats now. They're going to get a certain percentage of the vote, just as Republicans will. It's in that 40, 42 percent. But how do you capture the independents? How do you win the, a majority of the electoral college? That's where your candidate makes a difference. That's where your operation makes a difference. And I think right now there are too few people in the Democratic Party who believe Joe Biden is ready for four more years. And so I think the party has to have debates to prove to those voters that Joe Biden is ready. And if he can't have the debates, then that says to me they know he's not ready. And they know he can't go on the same stage, even with Robert Kennedy. Now, imagine if it were an open primary. Imagine if Gavin Newsom and Christy Whitmer from uh, Gretchen Whitmer from Michigan, Michigan were to yeah. run. I mean, then how would Biden do? Oh, so God, they've got to hide him. Yep. They're You're hiding right. him. Well, excellent job. As always here, Michael Goodwin, New York Post. Love having him on.
About two minutes to go. I want to move from national to local. You know my relationship with the mayor, Eric Adams. In fact, we were just at Gracie Mansion, my wife and I, Wednesday night for Jewish Heritage Month. And Eric actually put on a very, very good speech. But this uh, latest idea, as ridiculous as it gets with the migrants, this is really, this is where he's gone completely crazy. He's asking people like you and I, Mike, to take a couple of migrants home like they're stuffed animals. Is he nuts? <laughs> Tell me about your country. <laughs> What's your word for cucumber? <laughs> and by the way, not only is it is it insane, as, as you made a couple of very funny jokes, just the, the, the liability, too. What happens if I take one of these people home and, in fact, they turn out to be some crazed uh, criminal? I'm not saying uh, the majority are. They're probably very, very good people to quote Donald Trump. But what if that happens? What about the liability? Well, and, and Sid, as we've discussed before on this issue, my problem with the way Eric Adams has approached it is that where's the limit? Where's, when does it end? Tell me what's the finite number that New York will be responsible for, because in a sense, New York is responsible because of the right to shelter. So where's the limit? And until you can give me a limit, uh, I think you're crazy for entertaining all of these ideas, because it, you, whatever you will come up with, as we have seen so far, you will be swamped by the next wave that's coming in, bearing more. And the border is still open. And so I saw the other day when, when he uh, made this announcement, I read the transcript of his announcement about this, you know, getting the, the churches as well as uh, churches and synagogues, as well as uh, individual homeowners. Um, he, he attacks Republicans for not having immigration reform, which is a red herring. And he sort of blows off FEMA for not helping with aid. But that's it. Not a word about the border. It's the border, stupid. You've got to seal the border before you can begin to tackle the long-term problems of having these people here. 100%. And secondly, I, I, and secondly, he and Hochul are doing this. They're talking about work authorization papers that, as though these people are going to be here permanently. They are here, 99% of them, on an asylum claim. He calls them asylum claimers. They're here temporarily. Now, that temporarily may turn out to be six or seven or eight years, but at some point they will be turned down for asylum because they don't fit the definition, and they will be subject to deportation. They don't talk about that. They talk as though they're here forever. Now, that may be a practical reality, but you cannot legally erase the fact that they are not here legally except for their asylum claim and that they are subject to deportation. The mayor and the governor have perverted this and erased the line between legal and illegal hmm. by wanting them to work. No, no, that's the, again, the wrong idea, yep, yep. which will only which will only exacerbate the problem. Of course, and incentivize more of these people to come here. They'll be home Absolutely. right now. And be, exactly as long right. As the border is open, come that's to right. New York. You can work. You can live. That's with, exactly hey, right. With your friends on Park Avenue. <laughs> yeah. That's why he's got to call out Biden, Mayorkas, all those people, which he kind of does, but not really. Hey, Mike, you're great. I can't tell you. You coming on every week now has been a major, major boost for my show. So thank you so much. Another great appearance. You be well. 
My pleasure. Thank you very much. My man, Michael Goodwin, New York Post, another great job. We'll take a short break. When we get back, we'll talk more D-Day 79 years ago today with a very decorated colonel. My friend Jack Jacobs on Sitting Friends in the Morning is next. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Under the command of General Eisenhower, Allied naval forces, supported by strong air forces, began landing Allied armies this morning on the northern coast of France. This ends the reading of communique number one. From Supreme Headquarters, Allied Expeditionary Force. Ladies and gentlemen, this is New York, NBC Newsroom again. Men and women of the United States, this is a momentous hour in world history. This is the invasion of Hitler's Europe, the zero hour of the Second Front. The men of General Dwight Eisenhower are leaving their landing barges, fighting their way up the beaches into the fortress of Nazi Europe. They are moving in from the sea to attack the enemy under a mammoth cloud of fighter planes, under a ceiling of screaming shells from Allied warships. The first news flashes do not say, but a large proportion of this assault is believed to be in the hands of American men. They are making the attack side by side with the British Tommies who were bombed and blasted out of Europe at Dunkirk. Now, at this hour, they are bombing and blasting their way Back again. This is the European Front, once again being established in fire and blood, not only by the Americans and British, but by many allies in the fight against Axis aggression. Great song, Tom Petty, American Girl, after the actual radio broadcast 79 years ago today, June 6, 1944, the Allied forces in Normandy, D-Day. Anytime these events pop up, I love to talk to the great colonel, very decorated colonel, Jack Jacobs. Got to know Jack during the Imus days, and uh, Jack is still kind enough to join me here uh, years later, a war hero of Vietnam, of course. Jack Jacobs, Mr. Colonel, how are you, pal? 
Well, I'm good for an old man, all things considered. Thank <laughs> you have me on the program. Sir. You're a great, and uh, every time you're on, I'm going to be honest with you, I get tremendous feedback because with all the issues in this country, and as divided, Jack, as you know this country is, and there's a lot of hate, not nearly as much as the media wants you to believe. There really isn't, but there's still a lot of it. I think most people still appreciate the veterans, some not enough, but most do. And when you're on this show, I get great feedback. So people love you, and thank you for what you did. Well, it was a long time ago, and I I grew up in the shadow of the Second World War, uh, during which every household had served. Every household had done something to defend the country. We lost about almost half a million Americans killed in action during the Second World War to make the world free. And uh, those people who served were very proud of it. Nowadays, we have a very small number of young men and women who are willing to defend us, and we ought to be. We ought to think about them all the time because they're out there right now on the cutting edge of freedom, keeping us free. Uh, we need to. We need to remember that on a day like today. So let me ask you, because the world is on fire these days. You know, China, we keep hearing from my friend Gordon Shang tells me it's not a matter of it's, it's a matter of when, not if, that there'll be a war between the U.S. and China, Russia, who knows, with Putin. Do you think at this point we need to have a draft or, or not? Well, you're talking to somebody who believes in universal service. I always thought that if... Uh... You live in a free country. You owe it something in the form of service. Our problem is that we don't have the political will to have uh, anything other than what we have now. And it's very dangerous because what's happened is this. With a small number of people serving to defend us who are in harm's way, many of them, they're deployed right now, uh, we've opened up a wide gap between those people who are serving and those people who are being served. We take their service and their sacrifice for granted. And as a result, uh, it's not very, very healthy. No, I believe that we need we need to have the political will to defend ourselves and for everybody to make a contribution to it. You know, I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, on 9-11, more people were killed in New York City than were killed uh, on the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Which, by the way, no, very few people knew where Pearl Harbor was at the time. And yet, on the very next day, hundreds of thousands of young people went to reception stations around the country to go defend, go defend the United States. We did not have that uh, after 9-11 when more people were killed in New York City than wow. were killed at, uh, yeah. at Pearl Harbor. We, we need to change the way in which we look at how we contribute to our own defense Oh, that's got to change. Otherwise, we're not going to like the results. Well, that is a, an amazing uh, statistic, and it is true, mind you, that, yes, more people did die that day, and that's why a guy like Pat Tillman, who gave up millions of dollars to live a cushy life and play in the National Football League, elected to take a gun and go to Afghanistan, and, of course, we know the story, died from friendly fire. That's why he's still talked about today, because of his ultimate bravery, but because he was, like, the only one. I mean, you would have thought that a, a million guys would have done that, but... And you go back to World War II, and look, Jews are being exterminated, my people, in numbers, millions of numbers, by Adolf Hitler. He was clearly trying to take over, you know, the original Putin. And then you go back to your war, Vietnam, 
where most people thought, including I'm sure many of you servicemen, that that was a war that should never have been fought. You look back at the two, if you want, motivations to fight World War II against your war and very different stories, yes? Yeah, the world had changed after the Second World War. It was uh, uh, kind of a bifurcated world, uh, the good guys against the communists. Our, our view was that the communists were taking over in in Asia, and we need, need to do something about it. We, we got asked by the government of Vietnam to go assist, and we know the story. I, at the end of the day, uh, everything looks different in a rearview rear mirror. I, I, we didn't get in, involved in the Second World War until we, we got attacked, even though, as you said, millions of people were getting exterminated on two continents, mind you. When we joined the war, the war in Asia had already been going on for more than a decade, and the war in Europe had already been going on for about two and a half years. I'm going to stop you for one second, and that's why when people talk about FDR in these glorious terms, I get furious because, to your point, he knew it. He knew the war was going on. He knew the Jews were getting killed. There were ships with Jews on them that he didn't accept here in the United States. So the fact that eventually we ended the war because of brave people like you, that president, that FDR, knew people were getting killed and did nothing about it. it not only that, but he got on one of his fireside chats not long before we got attacked and said something like the following. He said, I hate war. We're not will fight in Asia. European boys will fight in Europe. We're not going to fight. And I hate war, he said. He said, Eleanor, his wife, hates war. He said, Fala, you know who Fala was? His dog. He <laughs> said, Fala hates his dog. Hates. He said this on a broadcast. And, and we were as isolationist as we possibly could be because we were led to do that. And meanwhile, people were getting killed everywhere around the world, and we didn't step up. Sometimes you got to step up, and it's brave people like those who fought on D-Day. 5,000 Americans killed on, on that beach. Brave people like that who made us all free, Said, I agree, and uh, the bravery continues. Uh, much smaller numbers, yes. This even, for the first time, I think, in my life, and if God is good to me, I'll be 57 next year, Colonel Jack. You know, I, I, oh, happy birthday. Thank you. But people always said my whole life that you can't beat the Americans, even in the worst of times, even Jimmy Carter, 1979. You can't beat the Americans now. A healthy amount of folks that I speak to really believe that we are no longer the strongest army. I disagree, but they believe with all the woke stuff and transgenders and all that stuff going on that we are no longer the strongest army. And if we suffered major casualties in World War II or Korea or Vietnam, forget about what would happen now. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we got to pay more attention to our capabilities. We have too few people in uniform. We've got a lot of technological capability, but at the end of the day, unless we have sufficient numbers of people focused on the most important thing, and that is training to defeat the enemy, unless we spend all of our time on that, uh, we're not going to like the result of that either. Now, we we have too many people who are involved in uh, social engineering deciding how we're going to defend this country. We shouldn't be doing that, Sid. Do you think that... Donald Trump, when he was president, and I'm not asking you to give me your opinion on him. If you like him, didn't like him, I don't care. But in this respect, war, when it came to intimidating the bad guys, 
like him pointing out on a map to the al-Qaeda leader where his, his wife and kids were, and if somebody gets harmed, an American gets harmed, I'll blow that place up. Do you think that Donald Trump, when he was uh, the chief, the leader, uh, did a good job with that, and this is just Joe Biden going backwards? Uh, every president uh, does some things really well and other things very, very poorly. And each one of the presidents we, we've had, certainly in my memory and my study, have done things that were positive for the defense of the country and did things that were not very good for the defense of the country. Donald Trump is no different than anybody else in that regard. Frequently, you wind up doing things as a function of, A, not having sufficient information, and B, being poorly advised. And every single president has been in a situation like that and has made the wrong decision and the right decision. Trump is no different than Biden in that regard, no different than FDR, than in Harry Truman, or anybody else we've had as a leader. At the end of the day, uh, we need good leadership. And if we don't have good leadership, we're not going to be safe. That's all there is to it. They call them the greatest generation. Is that right? Yeah, and they were. No doubt in your mind. They were the greatest generation. Well, I'll tell you a very brief story. My father was uh, studying electrical engineering at the University of Minnesota. And about eight weeks from graduation, they yanked him and everybody else out, put him in the Army, fought in New Guinea and the Philippines uh, in the Army, hated getting dragged out of school, hated the Army, hated getting shot at. Nobody likes that. Uh, Got out of the Army the instant that he could when the war was over. And yet when he got to be my age, all he and his friends would talk about was how proud they were at having saved the world. Hmm. And they had saved the world. That was, in Tom Brokaw's words, the greatest generation, and I still believe that. God, I love you, Jack Jacobs. We need more men like you. That's the problem. Our kids today are weak. They're not like you. So whoever uh, your father was and uh, your family, whoever raised you, they did an amazing job because you, and I mean this, you are a great American, a super guy, a decorated colonel. Thank you for your service. And as always, thank you for coming on the show. You always make it better. Thank you, buddy. Sid, thanks for having me on the program. God bless you. There he is, my friend, Colonel Jack Jacobs. And I use this term every now and then. I think the last one I used it for was um, Councilwoman, who's the one in Queens that Curtis loves? Yells like my mother. Not uh, Joanne, the other one. Oh, Paladino. Vicky Paladino. If you don't love Colonel Jack Jacobs, you don't love Jesus. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Oh, I love this. So hard for you. By the way, that Jack Jacobs conversation was brought to you by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Check them out today, PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com. They do build the world's best boilers. Pete checks in on Instagram at Rosenberg.Sydney. At Rosenberg.Sydney, she says, wow, what a show today. Goosebumps if you're hearing Jack Jacobs and the music and clips. Your patriotism on this day, truly an inspiration. Wish today's kids would feel just a smidge of the importance of this day. Way to go, Sid. Thank you, B. All right, 77 listeners, get ready for your chance to win big. I'm talking about the Paramount in Huntington, Long Island. You heard earlier today, Chaz Palminteri was on with me. He was great. He's one of the three shows. He comes up Sunday, June the 11th. 
his captivating one-man show, A Bronx Tale. Then, this lady, on June the 13th, Nancy Wilson, lead singer of Heart. She takes center stage. She's great. In fact, the song is great. And June 14th, the voice of the Moody Blues, Justin Hayward. We played them earlier. Nights in White Satin. He'll be joined by five-time Grammy Award winner Christopher Cross. Oh, my God. That is ridiculous. Chairs on the 11th. Nancy Wilson right here. Hart the 13th. The 14th, Moody Blues and Christopher Cross. Be calling the number nine right now. The number is 646 590 2085. That's 646-590-2085. Caller number nine. Your chance to win a pair of these tickets to one of these three spectacular shows where you can buy tickets at ParamountNY.com. Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. America, America, I love you, 
God bless those brave souls that stormed the beach in Normandy 79 years ago today. God bless the brave men and women that continue to serve us in this country all over the world today. God bless America, and God bless, God bless, I should say, each and every one of you that listen to us every morning. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow.